0: No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dr. Mutulu Shakur presented here.
2: His name was Mutulu Shakur, Dr. Mutulu Shakur, a lifetime freedom fighter for black people for most of his life. Born in Baltimore, Maryland, as Gerald Wayne Wood, on August 8, 1950, his mother moved north when he was seven years old, and he grew up in New York's Jamaica, Queens. In his 20s, he joined almost every black liberation movement he encountered. He was a member of the group R.A.M. for the Revolutionary Action Movement. He worked with provisional government of the Republic of New Africa, which sought the establishment of a free black nation in five southern states. He joined the Black Panther Party and later its military wing, the Black Beretian Army. His service to the black community wasn't just in revolutionary activism, but as a doctor of acupuncture where he treated addicted drug users and AIDS patients. He helped found BANA, the Black Acupuncture Advisory Association of North America, and later, the Harlem Institute of Acupuncture. In 1975, he married Afini Shakur, the mother of a little boy named Tupac Amaru Shakur. A daughter, Sekia, was born to the couple. After almost 40 years in charged with the 1981 armed robbery of a Brinks truck and his alleged role in the liberation of BLA soldier, Mutulu was granted compassionate release in December 2022 after an aggressive form of cancer was detected. Dr. Shakur returned to his ancestors on July 6, 2023. He is survived by his children, Mohreem, Sekria, Talib, Inzinga, Ayiza, and Enwa Shakur. Dr. Matu Shakur lived through 72 winters. With love, not fear, this is Mumia Abu Jamal.
3: Yeah, hold up shorty. Hold on, let me, let me answer this. Chill. Chill. All right. Yo. Hello?
4: Here's a question many parents are struggling with or have struggled with. Should I give my kid a smartphone? Maybe they're putting on the pressure. They need one for school or for safety and all their friends already have one, like all of them. But before you place the order, consider the experiences of parents who have said yes. For our series, Living Better, NPR's Michaeline Ducleff
5: reports. For the past four years, Emily Chirkin has been working with parents on the other side of this situation. They've given their kid a smartphone, and now they're struggling with it. Churkin is a former middle school teacher, now a screen consultant. She says these parents have one thing in common
6: talked to hundreds of parents and they, not one, has ever said to me, I wish I gave my kid a phone earlier or I wish I'd given them social media access sooner. Never. It's always the opposite.
5: They wish they had waited. And I hear that. I hear, I wish I knew then what I, I know now. The parents wish they knew two repercussions of giving a child a phone. Number one, it means dealing with a
6: whole new set of possible dangers. I think parents feel that by providing their child with devices, they are somehow keeping their child safe. And it's actually very backwards thinking. Our fears are very misplaced.
5: That the world online for some kids may actually be riskier than the world in real life. In a recent survey of about 1,000 teen girls, about half who use TikTok, Instagram, or Snapchat, say they've been contacted by a stranger who made them feel uncomfortable And more than 10% said they see harmful or disturbing content related to suicide or disordered eating on a daily basis. And then there's porn. Cherkin says, before giving your kid
6: any app, set up an account for them first. Then I tell parents, use that account for yourself for a week or more. Then decide, is this the product or an app that I want my kid using? She tried this herself with Snapchat. I pretended to be 15. I didn't even like anything. I just went to the Discover feed where it like pushes you content based on your age usually.
5: Immediately, she saw sexualized and vulgar content. Within seconds. Wait, with the count that was supposed to be the 15 year old using it? Oh, yeah. It's insanity. Snapchat's parent company, Snap, said in an email that it understands concerns about the appropriateness of some content and is working to offer teens a more age appropriate experience. But scientists have found that kids are drawn to this content and to these apps like magnets. And this brings us to the second thing to know. Before you hand over a phone, expect a constant struggle. It's going to be very hard to get your child to do other things, like read a book or go play outside with friends. Why? The phone and its apps trigger a molecule inside the brain that makes you crave them, almost like a drug. And Noelle Semaha is a neuroscientist at the University of Montreal. She says children's brains haven't developed enough to handle this magnetic pull. It's almost as
7: if you have like the perfect storm. You have these games and the social media and brains that are just not yet ready to have that level of self-control.
5: She says even some adults can't regulate their phone use.
7: I consider myself as having a lot of self-control, but I'll be like in in the metro coming into work and automatically I'll take my phone
6: out of my pocket. Like, why am I doing that?
5: In other words, how can you expect an 11-year-old to handle this if some adults struggle with it? NPR contacted TikTok, Instagram's Meta, along with Snap. All the companies declined interviews, but said they have invested in tools to help parents customize and monitor a child's account. Still, even with parental controls, screen consultant Emily Churkin says it's a lot of work to manage. So she gives parents the same advice over and over again.
6: As long as you possibly can, delay. Delay all of it.
5: And if you just have to order a phone, make it a dumb phone where the child can just text and call. Michaeline Ducluff, NPR News.
8: Autonomous or self-driving vehicles are becoming more and more popular by the day from Tesla's autopilot mode to the cruise rideshare program in Austin seems these vehicles are soon to be everywhere at least. That's the plan for Aurora's new fleet of self-driving semis, currently in test runs. A driver still sits behind the wheel, able to take over in case of emergency. The goal for Aurora is to have a full fleet of driverless semis carrying goods across Texas by the end of 2024. Alexandra Scores is the business news reporter for the Dallas Morning News, and she's been covering Aurora's newest developments. Alexandra, welcome back to the Texas Standard.
6: Hey, thanks for having me.
8: You had a chance to sit up in the cockpit of one of these rigs?
6: Yeah, um, I sat in the back seat, watched two drivers, you know, monitor the roads, looking for any objects in the way, any challenges to the technology, um, and just overall really just watch this very complex but, like, large scale technology do the work of making one of these big rigs fully autonomous. Did
8: you ever have the impulse to say, hey, get your hand on the wheel there, boy. That's, that's, not, <laughs> uh, that's not looking good. Uh, or was the thing just piloting itself?
6: Luckily, it was a pretty smooth ride. Um, I did a preview of the Dallas to Houston route, which is one of the testing routes Aurora is currently working with. And by the end of 2024, that route could be completely driverless without the safety drivers monitoring the vehicle.
8: Look, this is pretty scary stuff, I think, for a lot of folks who aren't in, um, well, aren't in the cab. Uh, You know, these large trucks can weigh up to, what, 80,000 pounds? You're talking about a vehicle that it would take, what, two football fields if fully loaded to stop. I mean, when you're talking about the biggest semis. What does the company have to say about this pressing issue of safety which has got to be first and foremost.
6: That is a big concern we hear from readers all the time when we write these sorts of stories that you know safety is their top concern they want to make sure that these are fully safe to be on the roads.
8: And what are you hearing from Aurora and what what steps are they taking to make sure that they're safe?
6: So the the end goal is end of 2024. They're going to be testing all throughout this year all throughout next year to make sure that this technology is bulletproof. They want to make sure that they are putting the best possible technology out there on the roads to ensure that the average driver doesn't feel like it's unsafe. And that's not exclusive to Aurora. There's multiple companies testing across Texas right now. And everyone's main concern is safety. That's the first thing that they reiterate when they talk about autonomous driving.
8: Well, why Texas? Is there something about Texas law that has made it conducive to a lot of companies descending on the Lone Star State and testing here? Because I know that we consistently rank number one with the most trucks involved in fatal crashes.
6: And that's one of the problems they're trying to really combat, right? You know, we're putting, whether it be truck drivers, folks in their regular cars on the roads, and, you know, we are seeing an uptick in those vehicles um, getting into crashes. But this is supposedly some sort of technology that can help end those sorts of crashes and just fatal issues. So what they're really trying to accomplish here is to make sure that the roads are safe but also doing it in a way that it's predictable enough that folks can really feel kind of reassured that this, is, this technology can, can and be more, more understanding of what's going on on the roads and just really comprehend that. We've
8: seen though in other uh, autonomous and semi-autonomous um, vehicles that have been on the streets. Accidents in which you know the the vehicle's lidar or radar was not able to make out a motorcyclist or a pedestrian. How does the system employed by these trucks differ from what's been commercially available previously?
6: A lot of that is it's still undergoing testing. Again, um, when I was in the back seat, I could see on their indicator dashboards. The technology actually picks up a person, you know, it flags that person and all of the space that that person, you know, takes up and how close it is to that person. Um, same with a vehicle, same with an object in the road. That technology is able to see that and either make a lane change, make move further away, whatever it needs to do. It's able to react to, but. Aside from that, you know, these are typical routes that we do see big rigs, just normal big rigs driving along or people, you know, driving to Houston. So um, it's pretty, pretty limited in the sense that there's not too much going along these routes. But again, safety is their number one concern. They're trying their best to make sure that, you know, if there is a person, the technology can understand that and move away or react in the appropriate manner.
8: I think we have to point out that I mean, for a company to allow a reporter into the cab, they must have a lot of confidence in the system when you stepped out. did you feel that this system was ready for prime time, or do you have a lot of questions yourself
6: you know we're we're still asking questions, and I think any person um, on the road um, wants to know that this technology is going to make them feel safe. From my point of view, the ride was really smooth. Um We didn't encounter any sort of issues. Um But again, this was just a preview of a small, uh, I took like a 30 minute drive for the Dallas to Houston route, you know, three plus hours. There's a lot of different things that happen on that route, whether it be construction, whether it be all of that. So it's on Aurora, it's on these companies to really make sure that this technology Is the safest it can possibly be and the company believes that it's heading in that direction
8: there are lots of laws that govern the way that drivers have to take time to you know for breaks Uh, they uh, there, there are lots of logs that have to be filled out to account for where the truck is at any given time and i know a lot of these processes can be computerized and things like driver breaks perhaps can be modified but i wonder how much the law is keeping up with the developments in the real world when it comes to autonomous or semi-autonomous vehicles.
6: Right. Texas is is pretty friendly to these sorts of companies and um, you see that a lot of support. Um, you know, there's a lot of obviously still a lot of questions in there. There's no There's no doubt that there are a lot of vehicle crashes every year on these roads. But again, we're a very big business friendly state. Um, we have perfect weather to test these sorts of things. You know, um, some of the better weather really kind of plays a role into what what these kinds of companies can come in and do. Um, so that makes Texas a perfect testing ground um, for this sort of technology.
8: We've been talking with Alexandra Scores, who's business news reporter at the Dallas Morning News, and we're going to link to her reporting at TexasStandard.org. Alexandra, thanks so much for the update. Keep us posted.
6: Thank you. I said-
9: The extreme heat that's scorching much of the country this summer is particularly brutal for prisoners and the guards who watch over them. By one count, 44 states don't have air conditioning in all their prisons. Ten of those states are in the south, where the heat wave has been unrelenting. In Mississippi, the Justice Department cited temperatures as high as 145 in the state penitentiary as among the conditions that violated prisoners' constitutional rights. After the Justice Department issued its findings last year, Mississippi began installing air conditioning. And in Texas, more than two-thirds of prisoner living areas lack air conditioning. We spoke with people who either have been inmates in Texas prisons or have family members who are currently in prison there to learn more about what it's like to live through extreme heat behind bars.
6: I spent over a decade in a Texas prison. I've been home for about two years. He's the youngest of my son's
10: and he is serving a 15 year sentence in Texas.
11: I spent just over 14 years in the Texas prison
12: system.
10: I was in prison
1: for a total of 11 years. I was incarcerated 17 years in Texas prison. I would say the heat was like being suffocated, like it took your breath away. It's very easy to kind of give in to that uh, oppressing heat and almost, frankly, forget to breathe. I would
13: be so hot that my vision would blur. Uh, I couldn't hear for some reason. I would flood the toilet and I would lay in about an inch of cold running water with my fan propped over me.
14: My daughter's been there seven years. Uh, She has uh, nine months to go she's sweating profusely all the time um, can't sleep. She works in the, um, kitchen. So, you know, it's like 120, 130 degrees in there and people are fainting people are seizing and falling on the floor. Heat-related seizures are very
1: common in the summer months in prison. And I don't mean common like one a day. I mean, common like three or four a day I saw while I was incarcerated. I had a real bad seizure, and I had hit my head with hard, an and I still just couldn't, they couldn't bring my temperature down. I was vomiting and diarrhea. I thought I was going to die that day.
2: A guard
13: had come in to sit with us. He passed out in the pod from being so hot and having that vest and having the uniform on.
15: Um, He started to seize.
10: We had one inmate pass away from
14: a heat stroke, because they were not allowing us to have our fans. There's mediocre um, air conditioning. So it's an opportunity when I visit her that she can actually be in semi-air conditioning for two hours. In a metal building, you're talking about maybe 120, 130
10: degrees or even higher, it's inhumane. I My heart aches when I see him when I talk to him, because it is, I can't, I can't
9: help him. Earlier this year, an effort to include money for prison air conditioning in the next budget in Texas failed in the state Senate. Maurice Shema writes for the Marshall Project, a nonprofit news organization that focuses on the criminal justice system. Maurice, I know you took a deep dive into this topic. You did a documentary with the Weather Channel about it a a few years back you talk talked to a lot of people around the country. You've talked to a lot of people in Texas. Is what we just heard unusual compared to what you heard from others?
16: No, it's very in line with uh, what is happening in prisons across the South. You get reports uh, from incarcerated people that it is just an elemental struggle to survive and that an increasing number just don't make it. So there was an epidemiological study in Texas that found that about 14 deaths a year could be attributed to the higher heat. Um, Often it is hard to pinpoint that a particular death is because of the heat. Uh, Sometimes it it scans as a a heart attack or a stroke. Um, But we know that frequently uh, the underlying cause, the sort of strain on the body that led to some of these deaths comes from that summer heat.
9: Uh, We reached out to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, and they provided us a statement from their director of communications. It says, in part, much like those Texans who did not have access to air conditioning in their homes, the department uses an array of measures to keep inmates safe. The agency recognizes that some inmates are potentially at a heightened risk of heat-related illnesses because of their age, health conditions, or medications. These individuals are identified through an automated heat sensitivity score that uses information from the inmate's electronic health record. Individuals who have a heat sensitivity score receive priority placement in a housing area that is air conditioned. So there they're talking about prisoners health conditions. But you also say that a growing segment of the inmate population is becoming more uh, sensitive to heat.
16: Well, I should say that many of those measures the Texas prison system took were only in response to lawsuits that were brought by prisoners and their families after a wave of deaths and other medical issues. Um, There are a number of prisoners who are especially susceptible to summer heat. You know, We passed laws in the 80s and 90s that sent um, more and more people to prison for longer and longer sentences. And that means that we're dealing with the reality of people in their 60s and 70s who just have less of a physical ability, just like 60- and 70-year-olds in the free world, uh, to really deal with the heat um, in the hottest months. Uh, and then on top of that, you have a lot of prisoners who are suffering from mental illnesses, and we know that psychotropic drugs sort of um, depresses the body's ability to deal with uh, heat. So you've got a heat index of 120, 130 degrees in there. People desperately uh, go off their psychotropic medications, and that can make them more dangerous to other prisoners or the staff. Um, you see a rise in suicides, and then you also just see more and more corrections officers uh, either take off work because they've had some kind of heat-related illness, or just quit, or or not take the job in the first place.
9: Why are there so many prisons without air conditioning?
16: I think the issue is essentially political. There, uh, since the nineteen seventies and eighties, uh, there was this understanding that you know many Americans don't have air conditioning. Um, but what I think policymakers and the public didn't realize is that even anyone outside of prison can go outside and catch a breeze. They have more access to water. They're not literally living day to day, hour by hour in these cells of uh, buildings made out of stone and concrete that are really heating up like ovens, uh, much more so than even your typical house.
9: What does this say about how we treat prisoners uh, in the United States?
16: Well, it says that we're still tremendously unsympathetic to them. I mean, there's been a lot of talk of criminal justice reform over the last five, 10 years, uh, but you still see not just in southern states, but 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 certainly in them, that there is a an idea still that prisoners are sort of the castaways of society who have put themselves there. Even though we know that you know many people are wrongfully convicted or are sentenced to really really long sentences for I think what most people would consider fairly low level crimes. This lack of sympathy and mercy, uh, I think. Is still very much with us uh, from the 1980s and 90s, and I think you see it in this continuing unwillingness among policymakers to install air conditioning and reduce the likelihood that prisoners are going to have strokes and even die each summer.
9: As we've said, this also affects corrections officers and other people who work in these prisons. It, It becomes sort of a labor issue, a workplace conditions issue. Are states and prisons more receptive to them than they are to prisoners?
16: I mean in theory but Texas right still does not have air conditioning even though many corrections officers have been asking for it and even though um they have said that uh the shortage of guards the the inability of the state to hire people to work in prisons is partially attributable just to the fact that people don't want to spend their work day in these conditions if they can avoid it. Part of that is that they don't want to live through the heat, but part of it is also that corrections officers don't want to live with the increased levels of violence, of suicide, and of other problems that are in a prison um, during these hottest summer months. Marie Shamah, The Marshall Project, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
10: That's right. We move into Mississippi, and you know how that spells. M. I, crooked letter, crooked letter,
4: I, crooked letter, crooked letter,
2: crooked letter I, hook back, hook back, I. <laughs> it has okay, it has power, lights, everything to it.
17: Alonso Miller is showing me around his farm in Louisville, Mississippi. Right now we're in the walking cooler he built to preserve food.
2: This farm has pretty much everything that you need to provide food for yourself. Um, water
17: there are cows vegetables and fruit trees but Miller is scaling back he'll be 70 soon and all that land is too much to handle he's keeping a smaller parcel and plans to sell the rest Miller is a fourth-generation farmer his family taught him how to preserve the soil and provide the land whatever it needs to be self-sustaining he wants to pass on this knowledge but he worries that it will end with him
2: his children aren't farmers and that For us older farmers to not have our sons and daughters involved in that, it's a hurting thing.
17: Black farmers in Mississippi, like Miller, are an aging demographic. And they have all of this ancestral knowledge that could help the next generation figure out how to keep growing as the climate changes. These older farmers, they're basically libraries. They
10: teach us how it used to be here how people used to live in community and that's what we're trying to build.
17: That's Teresa Irving Springs. Her farm is about six miles away from Miller's home. She and her husband are actively working to bridge that gap between elderly farmers and the next generation. On Juneteenth, they welcome family, friends, and supporters to their farm in McCool, Mississippi. She
6: took my frog! It's my frog now! It's not your frog! They're in the
17: early stages of opening a training center that will pass on sustainable practices from older black farmers to younger ones.
10: A lot of times I apologize to young people because I think we're leaving them a wounded world.
17: Everett Springs says she realized the importance of passing down this ancestral knowledge of sustainable farming through her own experience. The Springs were new farmers when they started several years ago. Miller and the local farming cooperative guided them but Irvin Springs says she noticed that she and her husband were among the youngest in that group.
12: We thought to ourselves, if we're the youngest, you know, and we're in our 50s, well, we're going to be
10: in trouble if we don't harness or get this knowledge so we can pass it on.
17: According to a survey from the National Young Farmers Coalition, the vast majority of young farmers are first generation producers. That means they don't have older family members to guide them. These are mostly people like me who um, didn't grow up in a farming family. That's Carolina Mueller. She works for the National Young Farmers Coalition. Don't have access to land necessarily and having to start from scratch. She says there are two big problems happening here. One, young farmers are having a hard time finding affordable land. And two... Mueller says as older farmers in the U.S. retire, a lot of land is going to be available soon. So there's a disconnect between folks who are retiring and the folks who are trying to get into it. Yeah. Mueller says the coalition wants to bridge that gap and remove the barriers that keep some new farmers out of the field.
11: Doing some fishing earlier.
17: Markel Thompson is one of those new farmers who is reconnecting with agriculture. Is there a pond nearby?
11: Oh, yeah, there's one down there.
17: And he's leaning on people like Miller and
11: Urban Springs for help. Me being young, it re-energizes the elder because they're like, oh, young man, you know, we have somebody to pass down this knowledge to.
17: Thompson oversees his family's farm in McCool, Mississippi. He didn't grow up farming. In fact, this will be his first year. But his grandfather was born here.
11: He left, though, and moved to Chicago had my mother, and I was just raised in the inner city.
17: Thompson's interest in farming sparked years ago. First, he tried growing things in pots in his apartment. Then he tried out a community garden, but it wasn't enough. Something was telling him to go to the family farm.
11: It was just like a faint whisper, like, hey, it's time to go home. It's time to go home. And my grandfather ended up calling me in the hospital, Said, Markel, I need you to come home. I'm sick.
17: Caring for his grandfather made Thompson want to grow organic food and help his elders. Now, he's preparing his first pasture for planting. He's excited for it. He oversees more than 100 acres. Often, he'll spend hours just exploring. It's partly fun, but also practical.
11: I was back there searching for a well that's supposed to be just open somewhere. I need to find that before I fall in there. That would be terrible.
17: Thompson just bought the building that will be his future home. He's going to live at the top of the hill, looking out over his new farm. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Danny McAuliffe.
2: Carry me back to Old Virginia There's
8: where the cotton and the corn and taters grow There's where the birds warble sweet in the springtime there's where the old Darkest hard and long longed to go There's where I labored So hard Poor old Massa Day after day In the field of yellow corn No place on
18: earth Do I love more sincerely Than old
8: Virginia The state
18: where I was
19: The judge ruled this week in an unusual case that
8: dates back more than a century. In 1898, a black man from Charlottesville,
2: Virginia, was lynched. After he died, a grand jury indicted him for sexual assault. From member station WVTF, Sandy Hausman reports on an
9: effort to reevaluate the evidence.
20: In the shade of an old oak tree, a plaque outside the Albemarle County Courthouse in downtown Charlottesville tells the story of John Henry James, a black man who had lived in the area for about five years, sold ice cream for a living, and was accused of sexually assaulting a white woman.
9: He was taken into custody and he was removed from Albemarle County to spend the night because of a fear that there would be racial violence
20: directed toward him. That's Jim Hingley, a local prosecutor who says that the following day, James was headed back to Charlottesville for a hearing when a mob of about 150 white men stopped the train on which he was riding.
9: He was taken to a nearby locust tree, lynched, and then his body was shot. And word came to
20: the grand jury that he was killed. Despite that, the grand jury issued the indictment. This week, to bring some justice to James, he took the case to court asking to have the indictment thrown out. Mr. Hingley, we are here on your motion. The court is prepared for you. You may proceed. Judge Cheryl Higgins listened as he explained that evidence in the case was thin and contradictory. There was even doubt as to whether a rape had occurred. Yet a grand jury, 125 years ago, decided to indict a dead man. University of Virginia Professor Jelaine Schmidt studied the case and gave testimony. She believes grand jury members were trying to protect the mob, From charges of murder.
10: Yeah, I think it was a signal from the grand jury to law enforcement. Hey, don't even bother to investigate this. You know, we've got this taken care of. Let's just
20: move on. But the black community in Charlottesville did not move on. They remembered James and many were in the crowded courtroom this week. They sat quietly as Judge Higgins rendered her decision. The indictment was never intended to be and did not serve as an instrument of justice Instead, it was used corruptly to sanction the racial terror lynching of John Henry James. The motion to dismiss is granted. Outside the courthouse, civil rights activist Freeman Allen rejoiced.
3: Justice finally has
20: come to John Henry James, and it is a redemption in many ways for Albemarle County and for Charlottesville. But for Robert Trent Vinson, chairman of African American Studies at the University of Virginia, the decision was bittersweet.
13: While I'm happy for this indictment being removed after 125
21: years, I'm still in mourning for the fact that this man, John Henry James, lost his life in the first place.
20: Some people hope this case serves as a warning to law enforcement today. Professor Schmidt says the police chief and sheriff were present when John Henry James was lynched. Nearly a century later, in August of 2017, white supremacists marched in Charlottesville and officers again failed to protect people of color.
10: Right here, you know, right where we're standing here, this is where white supremacists beat up members of this community and racial justice activists, and the police stood idly by and watched it happen.
20: For his part, Jim Hingley hopes the case of John Henry James prompts Americans to work harder to end racial injustice. For NPR News, I'm Sandy Houseman in Charlottesville.
19: More than two years ago, California's state legislature did something no state has ever done. It created a task force on reparations, nine people whose job it was to study the way that the legacy of slavery in the U.S. had harmed black residents of California, and to recommend whether and how California should compensate people for that harm, whether it should pay reparations. A few weeks ago in Sacramento, the state capital, hundreds of people streamed into an auditorium. Every seat was filled. People stood at the edges of the room. Dozens waited outside for a chance to get in. The mood was electric. It was a big day.
10: Welcome. Good morning. Today is Thursday, June 29th, and this is the last hearing of the California reparations task force. Let's give it up.
19: It was the day the task force was to deliver its final report to the state legislature. The nine task force members sat on stage, each with a copy nearly 1,100 pages thick. A meticulous history of racist policy in California, its impact on people's lives, and yes, a recommendation that the state should pay reparations. Stephen Bradford, a state senator on the task force, spoke from the stage.
13: The task force report is documented with citations and footnotes. Mm -hmm. People can choose to ignore it. They can be uncomfortable with the history, but you
19: cannot deny the truth. Black Americans have been seeking reparations since even before slavery was abolished. And while a few cities across the country have adopted very small scale programs, nothing has ever happened like what's happening now in California.
13: Now's the time to face it, folks, to own up to the debt that is owed. And we can do this. We can do this if we're committed to it.
19: The reparations task force has recommended cash payments, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars or more for any Californian who can show they are the direct descendant of a black enslaved person or a free black person alive before the 20th century. The report also recommends tax breaks, free tuition, help with health care and other programs designed to help African-Americans overcome the systemic racism that is slavery's legacy. Monica Montgomery Steppe, a San Diego City Councilwoman also on the task force, said the time for all this is now.
10: We must believe that reparations can come to fruition. We've come such a long way, and this work must not be in vain.
19: None of this is a sure thing, even in a state like California, which has a Democratic supermajority in the legislature and a progressive governor. Even so, Allie Whitehurst, a teacher, drove two hours to be here because she wanted to watch the task force hand its report over to lawmakers.
10: I want to be a part of this historic moment.
19: Why does it feel historic to you?
10: It's closer than we've ever been. And so I know it's just a report with recommendations. The heavy lifting is what's next with uh, legislative action. Um, But this is a historic moment for me, for us, yes. Yes.
19: Other people I spoke with at this meeting said that from here, public pressure will be critical. Stuart Highland is a union organizer who came from the city of East Palo Alto. You can't just have a study and stop. It has to be pushed. It has to be implemented. We just know it won't if we don't push, if we don't continue to say there's a community that needs to have this happen. A key person going forward is Democratic State Senator Stephen Bradford, who we heard from just a little bit ago. He was on the task force, and now it is his job to convince his fellow lawmakers to pass a bill. I spoke with him yesterday and asked him how it's going.
13: we still in early stages. I mean, chances are that the real meat of the legislation and what is in that reparations task force won't take shape until sometime next year. This is still an issue that's impacting not only California, but the rest of the nation, and we will have to address it. We still have colleagues who continue to say that this is not an issue that they're they're concerned with. I wonder if they're asking you why California? I mean, California was not a slave state. We were not a slave state in name only, but in practice and deeds, we very much were. We had a fugitive slave law. We had a governor that owned slaves. And if you were brought here as a slave, you were treated as such. If you were a pregnant woman who gave birth as a slave here, your child was born a slave. Uh, we did that. So other than seeing that we weren't a slave state, we were very much a slave state here in California.
19: To your colleagues in the legislature or to Californians who might say, no one who was enslaved is even alive today. So why are their descendants owed anything? How would you respond to that?
13: If you can inherit generational wealth, you can inherit generational debt. This is a debt that is owed to those descendants of slaves and to their ancestors. Again, many of the folks who are living in luxury and opulence today weren't alive when their land barons grandparents and great, great, great parents were enslaving Black folks to do the work in order to acquire their wealth. So I think it's a no-brainer here for me.
19: Well, the task force's list of proposed reparations is long, and I think it's fair to say very ambitious. Uh, It recommends significant cash payments, upwards of a million dollars for some people, but also things like tax breaks, free tuition, improving access to health care. How realistic do you think that these proposals are, especially considering that California recently had to close a budget deficit of more than $30 billion? I would
13: not focus on the cash payments, but all those other things, healthcare, free tuition, homebuyer's assistance, tax breaks, all those can be easily provided to descendants of slaves. If we model this after the GI Bill, we provide our veterans who fight in this country with those kind of benefits on a regular basis. But again, where there's a will, there's a way reparations was never about cash. It was about land. So helping
19: those individuals who have never owned property in the state become landowners. We can do those things. You say reparations was never about cash payments, but cash payments are really the central part of the task force's recommendation. Are you suggesting that you think cash payments might not actually be a realistic possibility
13: here? Well, you just spoke to the budget
19: deficit that we
13: have in California. I'm just being a realist here and you know, want a level set for folks that if it's not cash payments, there are other ways that we can compensate individuals. So I think cash payments are a distraction and that gives the other side a reason to say no to reparations. So to singularly focus on cash payments, I think it is it's doing this a, a, a big injustice and, uh, and misrepresenting the overall purpose of reparations. And that was to provide some kind of restitution, so to speak, for the harms and atonement for 250 years of uh, free labor in this country.
19: You don't have a lot of time left in the state Senate. You are termed out next year. And the same is true for the one other member of the task force who's also in the legislature. Do you worry that if you aren't able to get something through before you leave, that these recommendations could just get shelved and forgotten about? If it's all about one
13: or two people, yes. This should be something that the entire legislature, the entire state of California embraces. It shouldn't be about one individual. So I wish I had more time to uh, let my voice be heard on this issue. But again, we we need to hear everybody's voice in this.
19: I've been speaking with California State Senator Stephen Bradford, a Democrat who recently finished serving on California's Reparations Task Force. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for
13: having me. Appreciate the opportunity. You do. We think you're dirt, Paul.
21: Who
15: is we? The West. All the superpowers. Everything you believe in, Paul.
4: They think you're dirt. They think you're dumb. You're worthless. I'm afraid I don't understand what you are saying, sir. Oh, come on. Don't bullshit me, Paul.
21: You're
2: the smartest man here. You got them all eating out of your hands. You could own this freaking hotel. Except for one thing you're
4: black. You're not even a nigger. You're an African.
22: Flanked by security guards, Kemi Seba makes his entrance. An enthusiastic crowd welcomes the man who presents himself as the new voice of African unity and independence.
23: The 21st century will be the century of Pan-Africanism on the continent, in the diaspora. We will be the ones setting the agenda everywhere, even in this country.
22: In Francophone Africa, anti-French discourse is flourishing. Paris is losing ground, and Moscow is advancing its pawns. In Mali, Burkina Faso, and Central African Republic, Pro Russian governments have come to power over the course of wars and military coups. The propaganda machine is running at full speed. Behind it all, the Wagner Group, presented as Africa's savior. Kemi Seba, Franklin Nyampsi, Natalie Yombe, in the name of Pan-Africanism, these influencers are pushing a narrative.
4: You remember well the positive role the Russians played in the emancipation of countries that were under colonial domination.
22: Who are these Pan-African influencers, suspected of playing into the hands of the Kremlin? In the Parisian suburb of Bobigny, Kemi Seba can count on a new generation of followers, young intellectuals from the African diaspora, worried about the future of the continent.
3: I
18: think that he's someone with a lot of courage, someone who speaks frankly, and a source of inspiration for emancipated Afro youth. I didn't know
3: of him at the beginning when he was controversial. Now I see a man who has possibly changed over time.
22: On social media, Kemi Seba is the figure of Pan-Africanism 2.0, with nearly one and a half million followers. His favorite topic, fighting against the French presence in Africa.
3: He's extremely popular because he speaks in a way that's very simplistic, very easy, in a sometimes conspiratorial tone.
22: Kemi Seba became known in France in the mid-2000s. He's the founder of Tribuca, a radical group inspired by the Black Panther movement. Controversy-seeking comedian Diodonné gave him his first platform. In April 2006, on Diodonné's website, Kemi Seba defended Yusuf Fofana, accused of the anti-Semitic murder of Ilan Alimi.
23: Dirty Negro, the Jews will get you. Those who said that, I threaten them. I threaten them, and I tell them if you touch a single hair of Yusuf Afana, we'll deal with the sidelocks of your rabbis. I said it.
22: One month later, his group barged into the Jewish quarter of Rue des Rosiers in Paris. filmé sur un
3: telephone portable, a limage, d'une trentaine d'hommes noirs, habillés de noir, sans armes, mais menaçants.
22: Following the scene, Tribuca was dissolved for anti-Semitism and incitement of racial hatred. Kemi Seba found a new audience in Senegal. He traded his leather jacket for more local attire. On the channel 2STV, he made himself the spokesperson for anti-colonialism and the fight against the colonial-era currency. In 2017, in Dakar, he publicly burned a bill of 5,000 CFA francs, an act that got him kicked out of the country, but attracted the attention of a man not yet known on the continent, the head of the Wagner Group.
23: EVGENY Prigozhin Prigozhin MEETS ME ONE YEAR AFTER THE EXTRAORDINARY CAMPAIGN WE DID AGAINST THE CFA FRANK AND SAYS, I WANT TO SUPPORT YOU. HE TELLS ME, THOSE WHO ARE AGAINST OUR ENEMIES ARE OUR FRIENDS. AND SO HE SUPPORTS US, LOGISTICALLY.
22: ON THE FOREFRONT OF RUSSIAN PROPAGANDA, EVGENY Prigozhin BECAME THE BENEFACTOR OF THE PAN-AFRICAN CAUSE. ACCORDING TO DOCUMENTS REVEALED BY A CONSORTIUM OF INTERNATIONAL JOURNALISTS, Kemi Seba received financial support from the Wagner leader between 2018 and 2019, a total evaluated at over $400,000. Today, the activist says he no longer has ties with Wagner, but that doesn't mean he's cut off all contact with Russia. For the U.S. State Department, Kemi Seba remains, along with Swiss activist Natalie Yombe, an essential link in the chain of disinformation sponsored by Purgosian. He's regularly invited to conferences organized by Moscow.
23: I also salute all of the French and American spies who have, without a doubt, infiltrated this room.
22: There, he preaches the end of the globalized world, a concept dear to Kremlin philosopher Alexander Dugin. A great disparager of Western values that he judges decadent, Dugin is also a reference for the European far-right. Twenty years after making his debut, Kemi Seba has polished his discourse, but the fundamentals are the same.
23: When a Jew is arrested, even on Mars, we know how the Zionist government functions. But when an African is arrested, attacked, beaten up, killed, We have presidents who come by. I'm here to inquire about the situation, to see if our people aren't suffering too much.
22: Kemi Seba also denounces the negligence of African leaders. He calls for popular uprising.
23: Let's take responsibility for ourselves. A free Africa or death, we will overcome.
22: A free Africa or death. The reference to Thomas Sankara, an icon of Pan Africanism, is clear.
3: It seems to me that trying to link Thomas Sankara and Kemi Seba is a big mistake and an attack on Thomas Sankara's integrity. He's someone who didn't just use Pan Africanism as a mantra. And so to say that this man who led a state, who on the scale of an entire continent and even beyond, was able to inspire so many generations of leaders, that his heir is Kemi Seba, who has no institutional grounding, who speaks virtually no African language, I think it would be a horrible insult to history.
22: Kemi Seba has a sense for drama. Fifteen minutes into his speech, he suddenly changes targets.
23: Ah, I just got some news. I just learned that France 24 and RFI are in the room.
22: He doesn't hide his hostility toward French media, which he accuses of bias.
23: The temptation to kick you out is huge. Because you never let us speak, you never invite us on set, you always invite Oreos on your shows. Oreo,
3: subordinate, house negro, those are just words that dress up the accusation. From the moment you go on those channels, in a way you're endorsing a certain form of the defeat of your community. And you become an agent of betrayal. And that's the big problem. There's basically no other form of discussion possible.
22: Kemi Seba prefers to go on Russian channels. On Russia Today, the influencer speaks as a political leader. Promising to promote the partnership proposed by Vladimir Putin.
23: Russia will be a different partner than the others starting the moment Moscow avoids the colonial behavior of its predecessors. I also think it's necessary to transfer technology, a win win deal, a win win partnership in which each side is truly represented.
22: Kemi Seba declares his support for African coup leaders, Russia's new allies. He poses with Asimi Goita, the leader of Mali's military junta. On stage, he even claims a role in the latest geopolitical unrest.
23: Did you see that in Mali, things changed? We contributed majorly. Did you see that in Burkina Faso, things changed? And with this team and others, we contributed majorly.
22: He's now threatening France's other regional allies, like the president of Ivory
23: Coast. And soon, Alassane Ouattara, you'll understand too.
22: And the president of Senegal.
23: Macky Sal, if you don't leave Ousmane Sanko alone, you'll understand too.
18: He sets it up to look like he's one of the main players, those who took over power in Mali, in Burkina Faso, etc., when we know that the mechanisms are hugely more complex than that. So, what he's doing is selling an image of people and of movements that have achieved enough political weight to overthrow governments.
23: Let me talk to these people, then I'll talk to you.
18: In the
22: end, Kemi Seba declined our request for an interview. But another influencer did accept to meet with us, French Ivorian Franklin Niemcy. A professor of philosophy in France, he's also a staunch opponent of Ivorian President Alassane Ouattara. Before speaking live, he refines his message.
4: I sort of do the same thing as jazz musicians because they know their scales, they can improvise. I let inspiration come and I talk to the crowd.
22: Franklin Niamsi has 630,000 followers on social media.
4: It's a pretty big audience, but it's not only
18: African.
22: Almost every day on his YouTube channel, he decries France's policies in Africa.
18: AFRICA
4: OF FREEDOMS, I GREET YOU. HOW DO TERRORISTS FINANCE THEMSELVES IN AFRICA? THAT'S THE TOPIC I'M GOING TO ADDRESS.
18: USUALLY,
22: HE'S CRITICAL OF THE FRENCH PRESS, BUT THE DAY OF OUR VISIT, HE CHOSE AN ARTICLE PUBLISHED ON THE FRANCE24 WEBSITE. IT'S A SUMMARY OF AN INVESTIGATION DONE BY THE NEW YORK TIMES ON THE BUSINESS OF HOSTAGES IN THE SAHEL REGION. IT WAS PUBLISHED IN 2014. We learn
4: today that a large part of the money they have in their pockets comes from the hostage business, and that the biggest payers are those who say to Africans, we're fighting terrorism by your side. No. How can we have lost 58 French soldiers, 59 according to some counts, if I'm not mistaken, fighting terrorists to whom we're paying over $100 million on the pretext of freeing hostages? That's a real problem.
22: On pro-Russian accounts, France is regularly accused of financing and arming terrorist groups in the Sahel.
3: It's a very old narrative that doesn't come from Russia. What changed with the arrival of the Russians is that this narrative started to be repeated more and more often.
18: We have to understand
3: that these disinformation or amplification campaigns are fed by a real frustration and incomprehension at French policy.
22: On Franklin Niamsi's social media pages, Russian news gets top billing. Like Kemi Seba, he proclaims his affinity for Alexander Dugin, the Kremlin's ideologue. We found this video on the Russian equivalent of Facebook, a video conference organized by Dugin in April 2023.
4: Uh, I would like to greet Alexander Dugan and express all my friendship and all my admiration. Africa loves him.
22: Another man with whom Franklin Nyamsi doesn't hide his closeness is Simi Goita, the head of Mali's military junta and a new ally of Wagner. When questioned, he downplays abuses committed by the Russian mercenaries.
4: Wagner, Wagner is accused of committing abuses that, compared to colonial and neo-colonial abuses like slavery, are a drop of water in the ocean.
22: It's hard to determine the true nature of the ties between Nyamsi and Moscow. In front of our camera, he categorically denied being at the service of the Kremlin.
4: I've never been to Russia. I don't know how to speak Russian. Russian media have understood the rejection that we experienced, we French Africans. They have a great window of opportunity. They write to us. They write to me by email to say, we want to talk to you about this or that problem. I respond to the interview.
22: In April, Niemsi was suspended from his job as professor by the French Education Ministry, accused of breaching his duty to reserve personal opinion. On pro-Russian channels, he presented himself as a victim of the French state.
4: I'm a victim of political persecution in France. We can't
3: say that when someone has a Pan-African discourse, they're persecuted. What's new is that there's an information war. And in that context, yes, French authorities have a tendency to stiffen when they're faced with what they identify, for example, as agents or mercenaries of that type. I personally think it gives them too much credit. It gives them a destabilizing force that they don't have.
22: On June 24, 2023, Evgeny Prigozhin's Wagner forces launched a rebellion in Russia, finalizing the rift between Vladimir Putin and the man in charge of Russian propaganda in
18: Africa. One of the scenarios is that this monster created by Putin, that is the Wagner system, the Prigozhin system in Africa, finally turns against the interests of the Kremlin. And so if this scenario is confirmed, And if that scenario happens, then that means the Russian state will need to find new outlets to spread influence.
22: In the meantime, Moscow can still rely on its influencers. According to them, the fratricidal war between Vladimir Putin and Evgeny Prigozhin is merely a smokescreen designed to destabilize the West. The Turner Diaries
14: sold over half a million copies. Who do you think is buying it? Eric Rudolph, the Olympic bomber, Way Page, who shut up the Sea Temple, Larry Ford developing typhoid and cholera, William Krar with the cyanide bomb, anthrax, ricin, botulism, C4, IEDs. I could go on like this for hours, and all of them are white supremacists.
19: Here in the U.S., one strand of the white nationalist movement has grown quickly over the last year. So-called active clubs are popping up all over the country. They emphasize mixed martial arts training to prepare for violence against their perceived enemies. And they're increasingly moving their activities offline and into public view. NPR's domestic extremism correspondent Odette Youssef reports.
7: Late last month, a judge in Romania ordered Robert Rundo to be sent back to the United States. Rundo is a self-professed white nationalist and fascist. He also regularly traffics in anti-Semitic tropes. He's facing charges in California for rioting and conspiring to riot at political rallies with members of his racist fight club, the Rise Above Movement. For much of the last five years, he's been on the lam, but he hasn't been laying low.
23: What is going on, lads? Rundo here.
7: From shady locations in Europe, Rundo's posted media, like this podcast, for an American audience.
23: One of the things I get asked all the time, even though I've mentioned it on a couple other people's podcasts, I've written a few articles on it, but it is how to start an active club.
7: An active club. When Rundo was running with his crew in 2017, it was perhaps the only one in the U.S., But today, the Anti-Defamation League believes there are active clubs in at least 30 states. They're decentralized and they vary in size. And increasingly, they're networked and coordinating mobilizations. Crews in Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, Tennessee, and the Pacific Northwest have been particularly public with their activities. But Michael Colborn of the investigative journalism website Bellingcat says the active club model isn't actually new at all.
16: At a very simple level, it's taking a model of kind of Eastern European far right extremism, especially related to football hooliganism, especially kind of the aesthetics around some of the far right scenes that you see in Central and Eastern Europe, and trying as best as possible to plant that onto an American context.
7: Rundo appears to maintain an arm's length distance from the active clubs he's inspired. He makes money from selling active club fashion items online. But mostly, he gives advice on how clubs should brand themselves and use propaganda to project an image that's attractive to new recruits. That image is white, it's hypermasculine, it's fit, and there's no place for swastikas. But Rundo is clear that that's really about maintaining palatable optics to an American public. Again, Michael Colborn.
16: He really realized the power that essentially being Nazi is without looking like Nazis. He realized the power that that can have to effectively mainstream far-right ideas and far-right extremists.
7: The current moment seems to be ripe for that mainstreaming. As the American right has united around the cause of diminishing LGBTQ rights, extremist groups have found an opening. Stephen Pigott of the Western States Center has been tracking active clubs in Oregon, Washington, and Montana. Together, they've allied to form something called the Northwest Nationalist Network.
24: What's been troubling for me is to see their, their activities increase, especially during Pride Month, where you have these folks teaming up with, with other white nationalist groups and also crossing state lines to engage in the targeting of Pride events across the region.
7: Piggott says they're not just showing up and yelling Bible verses or waving flags.
24: They're screaming and trying to get in in the faces of folks. And I think it's much more threatening, much more intimidating.
7: The coordination between active clubs and other white nationalist groups began about a year ago. Morgan Moon of the Anti-Defamation League says active clubs have hosted at least two so-called Fight nights at venues in San Diego and in Washington State.
6: It's was not only active clubs, Patriot Front came out, allegedly Hammerskins came out, etc. And it's kind of meant to serve as this kind of fraternizing event where a different uh, white supremacists can come together in unity.
7: But since active clubs have ventured further out into public view, so have some tensions within the far right extreme. Last month, a video of a sidewalk brawl went viral. It showed another violent extremist group, the Proud Boys, in their colors, using American flagpoles to beat members of an active club. It was near a pride event in Oregon City and apparently started because of a personal beef between the groups. The active club members were wearing dark-collared shirts, khakis, and masks until Proud Boys started unmasking them to expose their identities. Since then, there's a continuing online fight between Proud Boys and active clubs. But some extremism experts say there's no comfort to be taken from seeing these groups fight each other. The fact is, both are violent, and both had shown up in that location for the same reason, to advance the right-wing project of intimidating and harassing LGBTQ people out of the public sphere altogether. Despite Rundo's approved extradition to the U.S. and expected trial, many believe active clubs will continue growing and coordinating. In recent weeks, groups announced on Telegram the formation of two new regional active club networks, one in the South and one in the Midwest. Odette Youssef, NPR News.
9: This the city of Chicago, Chicago.
14: Illinois will be the first state to abolish cash bail following a landmark decision by the Illinois Supreme Court yesterday. The pre-trial fairness portion of the so-called Safety Act will officially go into effect on September 18th. WBEZ State House reporter Alex Degman is here to talk about it. Good morning, Alex. Hi, Mary. First, what does it mean to eliminate cash bail?
0: Well, it means that people who commit crimes or cause disturbances can still be taken into custody by police, but they can only be held pre-trial if they're accused of certain crimes and a judge determines them a danger to the public or a threat to flee and not show up to court. So, But anybody held pre-trial can appeal that decision.
14: So who is supposed to benefit from this new law?
0: It's primarily designed to benefit people who are accused of low-level offenses that don't have the resources to post bail. Uh, Proponents have long said that they're trying to prevent people like shoplifters and others charged with low-level crimes from sitting in jail just because they can't afford bail.
14: The sheriffs and prosecutors who challenged this said that eliminating cash bail violates the state constitution. What did the Illinois Supreme Court have to say?
0: So the Supreme Court disagreed with the circuit court in Kankakee County, plus the sheriffs and the prosecutors who sued on a few ideas. Now, for one, the high court ruled that the law doesn't violate the separation of powers. The plaintiffs here said the legislature can't just come in and tell the judicial branch what to do and how to run its courtrooms. But the Supreme Court said the legislature's actually done that a lot. Uh, in 1963, lawmakers wrote the first criminal code outlining how and when a defendant should be detained, for example. Now, plaintiffs also argued that the Pretrial Fairness Act violates the Crime Victims Bill of Rights. And that says that victims and their families have to be kept in mind when setting bail. And they can't be part of a decision when no bail is involved, the, uh, the opponent said. But the Supreme Court said crime victims are taken into consideration as part of the law. And the terms of bail... Uh, don't necessarily have to include money. The word monetary isn't mentioned anywhere in the Constitution. And it was also argued that eliminating cash bail is changing the Constitution because it says people can get bailed out with, quote, sufficient sureties. But the Supreme Court disagreed with that, too, reiterating that the Constitution doesn't say that bail has to be monetary, even though that has been the widespread practice in Illinois and pretty much everywhere else.
14: So now that justices have ruled that this is legal, that this is constitutional, does it mean everyone waiting for trial in Illinois will be released from jail?
0: No. So anyone currently being held on cash bail or anybody who gets arrested between now and the middle of September is still going to go through the system as it is right now. But some opponents are already starting to get worried because they think there could be a huge deluge of folks appealing their pretrial detention in a couple of months and they think that the court systems aren't adequately staffed to handle that and this worry started coming around during the campaign season you might remember opponents started claiming that because cash bail is going away that nobody's going to be held pretrial and they started calling it the purge law which you might remember is based on the purge movie franchise where all crime is legal for 24 hours But even before the changes lawmakers passed late last year, that was never going to happen. And judges always were going to maintain discretion.
14: How are law enforcement officials responding to the ruling? Some of the folks
0: that I'm talking to say they're disappointed in this ruling. But I'm not expecting any widespread defiance like we saw in the final weeks of 2022. That's when sheriffs and state's attorneys across Illinois said they wouldn't enforce this because they thought it was unconstitutional. Well, now the state Supreme Court has weighed in and said that it is. And that appeared to spur some more widespread acceptance. And I asked Jim Kaichik about that. He's the executive director of the Illinois Sheriff's Association. And he says Illinois' entire system revolves around cash bail. It's disappointing to see it discarded. But it's the law. And it's been deemed constitutional. So now he says it's law enforcement's job to enforce the law.
14: Alex Degman covers the state house for WBEZ. Thank you, Alex. You're welcome. This is WBEZ.
21: The the man-not, race, race, class, class, genre, genre, and the dilemmas dilemmas of black black manhood. manhood.
24: Ever since a police officer fatally shot 18-year-old Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri almost nine years ago, police use of force against people of color, especially black Americans, has been under intense scrutiny. Much of the attention is on firearms, but types of force considered to be less lethal, like chokeholds and tasers, are also getting a closer look. As John Yang reports, tasers may rank below guns on the spectrum of police force, but using them has resulted in deaths. And note that some images in this report are disturbing. Mm -hmm. Sonia Williams struggles with the death of
9: her firstborn child, Daryl Tyree Williams. He was a good person,
10: you know what I'm saying? I'm not gonna say that he was perfect, you know what I'm saying? He had his flaws like like we all do, but he was loved by everyone. He didn't have no enemies.
9: She's especially troubled by the way Daryl died, in the custody of police who had used a taser on him several times. He didn't deserve this. Not a day to go by, I don't think about him. It's just hard. It's a hard thing to go through. The events leading up to Daryl Williams' death began unfolding at about 2 a.m. on a January morning. Williams was sitting in a parked car on Raleigh, North Carolina's southeast side. Put both hands on the car. Police were in the predominantly black neighborhood on what they call proactive patrol because, they said, officers are frequently called to the area. Yeah. In Williams' pants pocket, an officer finds a folded $1 bill with a white powdery substance. Put your hand on your back. Why? Both hands on your back. There's a struggle as Williams tries to get away. The officer draws his yellow taser and fires. Its probes make contact with Williams and deliver an electrical charge designed to temporarily paralyze him. Williams momentarily breaks free and is tased again.
23: Your behind your back. With
9: officers holding him down, Williams pleads with
3: right now, him, put your
21: hands please.
8: behind your
9: back. In all, officers had tased Williams four times. About an hour later, Williams was pronounced dead at a hospital. He was 32 years old. An autopsy concluded that Williams died from sudden cardiac arrest in the setting of cocaine intoxication, physical exertion, conducted energy weapon use, and physical restraint. The death was ruled a homicide.
10: Daryl Williams lost his life because the Raleigh Police Department apparently doesn't have anything better to do than to harass Black and brown people.
9: Don Blagrove is executive director of Emancipate NC, a North Carolina group that focuses on race and policing and mass incarceration. She's also one of the lawyers representing the Williams family. She underscores the role of the taser in Williams' death.
10: It can be a deadly weapon. In the hands of Raleigh Police Department officers, clearly, because Daryl Tyree Williams is no longer with us,
9: There's no authoritative database of deaths that follow the use of a conducted electrical weapon, but a 2017 investigation by Reuters put the tally at more than 1,000, nearly all of them since the early 2000s. They classify them as less lethal today because the lethality is still present. Calfani Terre is a professor of criminal justice at Widener University and a former police officer. He says police shouldn't use tasers since officers can't know if a target has health problems. We're not trained as medical experts when we train to use tasers. We simply train around
16: the mechanical parts of it.
9: Tasers are by far law enforcement's most commonly used conducted energy weapon. Its manufacturer, Axon, wouldn't speak with us on camera, but materials the company provided cite findings of independent studies that 99.75% of incidents in which a taser was used did not result in serious injury, and that of the tools available to police to exert force, a taser is least likely to result in significant injury, less likely even than unarmed physical force. The lead author of both studies is Dr. William P. Bozeman, An emergency medicine professor at Wake Forest University School of Medicine. He says his work is not funded by Axon.
2: When it comes to
11: cardiac effects, uh, it's extremely rare, and the current estimate is one in two to two and a half
9: million. Bozeman says decades of research on tasers have established that they're safe, even if there are rare instances in which they contribute to a death.
21: A taser can absolutely kill you, whether it can. Do that by a cardiac means is still a topic of discussion. But there have clearly been cases where people were standing in an elevated position and
11: they were struck with a taser and the muscular lockup occurred and they fell
0: and they had a major head injury and they died. But tasers are actually
24: remarkably safe.
23: We owe public safety and communities a better way to stop threats
9: without having to take a life. That's tasers key selling point. Axon estimates that about 285,000 lives have been saved or serious injuries prevented because police use their devices instead of a gun. Raleigh attorney Don Blagrove says tasers may be a useful tool, but the issue is how police use them.
10: The reality is we need an entire paradigm shift around when force is necessary for law enforcement, even if it is non-lethal weapons. If it is used with the intent to cause harm, to cause pain, to punish someone, that is always going to result in the people of Raleigh and anywhere else being in danger of death for even simple interactions with law enforcement.
9: In June, Wake County District Attorney Lauren Freeman announced that she was not bringing criminal charges against any officers in connection with Williams' death.
20: I would say this is one of the cases that you know I personally have struggled with um, you know more than others candidly
9: among the circumstances she said led her to her conclusion what she calls the limited uses of tasers on williams none longer than 5 seconds the question of whether officers heard williams tell them about his heart condition and the complications posed by the autopsy report which cited a combination of factors contributing to williams death rather than a single cause
20: at the end of the day, the law enforcement actions, while difficult to watch, while leading to a very tragic end, were lawful and in some instances, you know, were what were necessary at that point in time to bring a situation under control. And so hopefully we learn from these situations um, kind of on both sides of that interaction.
9: Six officers involved in Williams' death were placed on paid administrative leave. The Raleigh Police Department declined an interview request and wouldn't go beyond a written statement. It said it is department policy that a conducted energy weapon shall only be used in response to active resistance. The statement adds, it is important to note that our officers are required to make split-second decisions in quickly evolving circumstances.
10: Daryl was not trying to harm law enforcement. He did not pose a physical threat. He was trying to get away. He was trying to save his own life. Ultimately, without the intervention of other human beings, namely the Raleigh Police Department, Daryl would not have died on that night. If this were some random non-law enforcement citizen who had committed a crime, that resulted in the death of someone else.
9: That person would be charged. The DA's decision also frustrates Daryl's mother, Sonia.
10: I don't have a thing against the cases. I just think it's a way to use it. They did they use obsessively, on on my child and until something be done about it. They're gonna keep
9: on doing it. Now that the district attorney has decided not to do anything, Sonia Williams and her attorney said they're exploring their options in their pursuit of accountability for the police and justice for Daryl Tyree Williams. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm John Yang.
2: You know the routine. Don't play like you don't. We play too much. Play, play, play. Everything is a movie scene.
3: Uh, Very serious About about not being very serious.
2: haven't done anything, what are you running for? If you have done something, what are you running for? How far you think you can run? To the moon?
3: A new kind of less lethal weapon is trying to claim a spot on the belts of American cops. It's called a bola wrap, and its makers promise it can capture someone without injury. As NPR law enforcement correspondent Martin Costi reports, part of the appeal is how
24: it looks on video. The bowler wrap is like something out of a comic book. It's a handheld device that shoots out a Kevlar cord weighted with tiny grappling hooks. Here's what that sounds like.
9: Uh, Wrap, wrap, wrap. And then it's wrapped around his legs.
24: The cord winds itself around the target's knees, making it harder to run or fight as the police come in to cuff him. Seattle police did this demonstration in May as they began to use the device Chief Adrian Diaz says this may be safer than just going in to grapple with bare hands. You
8: know, if you're sweeping somebody into the ground, you could potentially find them being injured, taking them to the ground, and this actually helps them stop and tries to wrap them up a little bit.
24: Seattle's been trying to reduce how often its officers use force. It's been under federal pressure to do so for years. City Council Member Lisa Herbold hopes that the BOLA wrap can help to solve a specific kind of challenge in this effort.
7: Over and over and over again, it has been identified that we don't have good tools for armed individuals in a behavioral health crisis.
24: Ian Adams is taking a wait-and-see attitude about the app. It's not exactly clear what's the target incident where this is used, right? Adams is a former police officer, now an assistant professor of criminology at the University of South Carolina, where he studies how cops decide when and how to use force. Is it before somebody is posing an objective threat? Is it supposed to be used during just foot pursuits as a sort of distance tool? You know, a lot of these questions I think still need to be answered. Some of the answers may come from the Los Angeles Police Department, which is doing the biggest field test so far. Captain Christopher Zine commands the training division.
19: It's not an ideal weapon for somebody who's acting aggressive. This is more meant for the individual who's refusing to submit to an arrest or detention.
24: Almost 400 LAPD officers are now carrying the latest model of Bola Wrap. It's been used 15 times so far, 12 of those times effectively, Zine says. Though that doesn't necessarily mean they worked perfectly.
19: We have had a couple of incidents already where the device was deployed and then it didn't fully wrap. But again, the nature of the device being deployed startled the individual and contributed to the individual submitting to arrest for detention.
24: The company that makes the devices, RAP Technologies, says it has about 23,000 Bola Wrap units, quote, in the field right now, though it's not clear how many of those were purchased. CEO Kevin Mullins says Bola Wraps retail for about $1,300 a piece, and they come with a guarantee. We guarantee an agency will see a 10% reduction in use of force at full deployment over 12 months, or we will buy the devices back. But that's only if the police departments don't count wrap as a use of force. Some of them do, some don't. These stats matter a lot these days, as do the visuals of these arrests, now that almost every encounter ends up on video. That's a major selling point for wrap too. Mullins recalls what he heard a police chief saying recently about another kind of less lethal weapon, metal batons. You know, the chief said, look, if you're going to carry this in 2023, and you think if you're going to pull this out, and you're going to hit an individual with it, go ahead and pull the checkbook out because the, the optics are so horrible. Cops often say that no use of force ever looks good on video, no matter how legal or appropriate. But Wrap, which is fired from 20 feet away, can come close. The company even posts videos of real-life uses on its YouTube channel, something you wouldn't expect from, say, a pepper spray company.
16: It's good to see other
3: companies jumping in and trying things
24: that are new. Russ Hicks is a former police academy trainer and a use of force consultant. He says if you look at the history of other less lethal weapons, they have decreased injuries and deaths overall, but they also come with some pitfalls. My 30 years of experience say, hey, this is just a tool
19: on your belt. Your main weapon is your verbal communication, because that's the two things where officers get themselves in trouble. They don't have the patience and the over-reliance on
24: tools. Just as some cops have been too quick in the past to go to their tasers, he says they should also now watch out for being too quick to rap someone, even if it looks impressive on video. Martin Costi, NPR News. Police say they're looking into what happened. But deny any kind of racial profiling don't forget your nigger knocker
25: well the office of police accountability is investigating to see if any department policies were violated meanwhile the community police commission will also review the department's poli- policies and recommend uh, and make any recommendations in case the department does not currently have any policies that currently address this
4: i was horrified i was disgusted Um, What the video shows was appalling.
25: Body camera video from 2021 shows a Trump 2020 flag and a mock tombstone on display in the Seattle Police Department's East Precinct. The video was obtained by attorneys currently suing the city and Seattle police over the city's anti-graffiti ordinance. The tombstone appears to mock the death of Demarius Butts, who was killed in a police shootout in 2017. As the Office of Police Accountability investigates, Seattle's Community Police Commission is also watching closely to see if any department policies were violated.
20: We certainly
4: expect that policy violations occurred, and if they didn't occur um, or there wasn't swift action under these policies, those are things the CPC will look at.
25: SPD responded to the video in a statement, saying in part... We are reviewing our policies and procedures with respect to the maintenance and use of our facilities and will engage with OPA, OIG and the CPC to ensure our policies are clear. Commanders are also instructed to conduct thorough inspections of our precincts and office space to ensure any decor is appropriate under city standards and aligns with our core values and mission of public service. Stephanie Cheetah chairs the East Precinct Advisory Council and says the actions of a few officers does not reflect the department as a whole.
7: There are bad apples in every group that you look at. I feel
20: bad because um so many of the police are trying, you know, to be um sensitive and open and anti-racist and all of that and um this was one person two and a half years ago
25: the video was addressed at their board meeting last night and will also be addressed at next week's community police commission meeting where chief diaz is expected to answer questions about the video and his officers and that meeting is open to the public. It will take place next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. at Seattle City Hall. Reporting live in Capitol Hill, Lynn Ann Wynn, co
21: Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, July 22nd, 2023. So I have been told. Worthless Negro from Virginia. Pause for Dr. Matulu Shakur. As well as John Henry James. Longtime resident. Native as they say of the state of Virginia. Good old Commonwealth. I had never heard about John Henry James. Black male. Lynched and then Indicted the way they normally do it is indicted and then lynched. No, no, no. John Henry James lynched and then indicted for raping a white woman. Cowbell. After more than a century, maybe we ought to correct that. Maybe. Wow. I did not. I mean. I'm familiar. Charlottesville. I'm surprised they didn't get a name drop for Heather Hare in uh, and all of that. I'm very familiar uh, with that area. University of Virginia. I've been there. We had to go to the courthouse, do studies and all that good stuff. Wow. Uh, I would have definitely been present for that. I don't know if that's something to stand up with Jubilee and applaud, like definitely to recognize uh, Mr. John Henry James. For sure, victim of white supremacy racism, but yeah, I don't know that. Whew, we gotta wait over a century to say, "Oh yeah, maybe we ought not have done that." <clears throat> Little lacking, late compensatory call in dial in if you have thoughts, observations. The number seven two zero seven one six seven three hundred the code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Number again seven two zero seven one six seven three hundred. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to to participate, not for spectators, folks have commentary, observations, questions they would like to share star six one We will get your thoughts let's see uh one, we should be here tomorrow sunday july twenty third uh, and we should be here early, normal time. Uh, we'll be here early because our guest is joining us, different side of the world. Uh, so nothing you can do about those big time differences. Uh, we'll be here, I think it's 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, 12 noon Pacific for Sunday, July 23rd. We'll be here, white guests only. And then we'll be back on Monday, back to normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. But Sunday and then again on Monday but Sunday early time 3 p.m. Eastern 2 p.m. Central 1 p.m. or excuse me noon Pacific I guess 1 p.m. Mountain Hmm. Uh, but we'll be here tomorrow white guests only super looking forward to it global system of white supremacy racism this program kind of makes that point for sure global system and individuals classified as white work together all over the planet known universe really uh, to maintain control of their negros system of white supremacy racism but that's what we'll be chatting it up about uh, Sunday 3 p.m. Eastern 12 noon Pacific now a few thoughts before we nab callers their observations questions that they would like to get in I will say whenever we have those programs on sunday like i don't mind doing a sunday program but when it's it has to be early like it's not at the normal time oh those are the worst like i don't like broadcasting early anyway i say that all the time we've had a number of guests on from different parts of the globe over this summer and every time i say that like this is you know the labor of counter-racism because it just throws my whole preparation off and scheduling For the day and then having to adjust and we're broadcasting early and all of that, particularly for Sunday, because we have this program the Saturday evening beforehand. And so then to have to do that and turn around and be prepped, ready to roll very early Sunday morning by noon, that pretty much means you got to be ready to go in the morning live at noon. So I'm super not a fan of these programs, but Uh, The labor of counter-racism and again when people are in different parts of the world sometimes you know just try to do the best you can to compensate for the time difference global system of white supremacy racism but we will do our best tomorrow and Monday alright let's see the few thoughts on some of the reports that we heard at the beginning Uh, again Dr. Matulu Shakur they were talking about, I guess I could have played that as well they uh, were talking about updates in the murder investigation for Tupac Shakur uh, Godson for Dr. Matulu Shakur and uh, they went to, I think in Nevada, they went to some residence and were looking for evidence connected to the murder from all those years ago, nearly 30 years on at this point we'll see where all of that goes we read a labyrinth about the murder of Tupac Shakur way back in the book club next uh that segment about getting a smartphone for your offspring now we've talked about that in a few segments before i do not have children but that's one people talk about having that list 200 questions based on what mr fuller suggests great include that what age were you when you got a phone were there problems what age do you think you know would be good for a child to have a phone and why have you done any studies on this research have you seen the impact with other children these would be good questions to ask and come to a consensus on I was going to say before the child is born but maybe even before conception go talk to some people who already have parents already have children already have parents already have children and see what age did they give their child a phone what were the results have there been problems if so what what would they do differently go up maybe ask 10 different parents you can make it a counter racist experiment ask 10 different parents you could ask white parents ask non-white parents see if there's a difference look for books I'm sure they got 10 or not I'm sure I know They got tons, as many as you want to read studies and books and all that good stuff. You could read probably some literature on YouTube as well. The material there as well. Check it out and try to make a more informed choice before you just divvy it over to your child. I will say about that safety component. Oh, man. Now, they didn't even bring up the dark web and all that. Just those what they call catfish incidents. They just had the major one. Talk about VA it was a family in california it was a white enforcement officer in virginia opposite side of the continent he's talking to a 15 year old i believe it was a 15 year old white girl he's talking to her and pretending to be i think like a a high school boy he travels thousands of miles across the country kills her family sets the house on fire and kidnaps her all this started from one of those apps what they call catfish him pretending to be somebody and it's that all of that has been growing over the last 10 years or so just with more technology and all that stuff and the phones and everything else so oh, if you don't know catfish and all that if you don't know about that that would be another one to go and research like oh man man how 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 quick do we want to be giving that phone to a child we've had Bay Area mom and other folks talking about people giving 1 year olds 2 year olds, 3 year olds iPhones and all the rest of it wow not a good look probably even playing around on your phone at that age is probably not the best I think they, what they said there if you absolutely have to give them that phone communication you want to be able to know where they are you're afraid Dylan and Reb might shoot up the school okay give them a dumb phone call text and that's really all you need they got the school on lockdown what should I do They can call you don't need a smartphone for all of that you can text and you can tell them what to do run no smartphone needed for that hopefully that sort of situation won't happen but no reason to hold off as long as you can and then even have some data as to why you are doing this and in fact you can even talk about your own we should have folks now you know hey I had a cell phone I got a cell phone you just tell them what age did you get your cell phone and why this is why we're waiting on this even look at the adults as they said the number of adults adults Who cannot regulate themselves with their phone use, their caffeine use, their white sugar intake. That's why we're waiting on this. That's why we don't go to McDonald's. That's why you don't get candy all the time. Have children who are unregulated and they just become adults who are unregulated. Had that segment before talking about Dopamine Nation. Z's mom told us to read that one. Nonfiction. Uh, Let's see. They had the segment on reparations in the state of California. Now, we talked about that before. We even had white guests on to talk about this before. I would be stunned if they write checks in the state of California. Absolutely stunned. Now, I think they have begun issuing at least some checks in Evansville in Illinois. Northwestern is there right outside of Chicago suburbs so-called I think they have now that's much smaller scale smaller population I don't think it's hundreds of thousands of dollars anything like that but they have started making some checks to black people in the small town of uh, Illinois but I it I would be stunned I've been incorrect before I thought Trump was going to be reelected. still upset about that I'm incorrect often I would be really surprised if they began cranking out checks in the Golden State. I mean, what? <laughs> For Under any circumstances, they just tried to recall the governor, Gavin Newsom, not that long ago. People remember that? You California residents, I'm sure they remember. They just tried unsuccessfully, but they just tried to recall the governor. This same white man is going to turn around and then, you know what? the best course for our great state we're gonna look out for our colored boys and girls <laughs> like do what what in the name of coolio <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna write out a few uh, come on that just does not that, i believe it when i see it i'd said before that i'm not interested in talking to any black people about reparations i'm good they even asked in the interview they said dang so do you think when your term is done next year if you're the big advocate for this, once you leave, this could all be for naught. And I was thinking, yep, that's what I think is going to happen. He said, oh, man, this is supposed to be everybody, you know, good and God darn well. They just tried to recall. Let's, Let's ask it this way. So the individuals classified as white who were just trying to recall Governor Gavin Newsom, do you think they support reparations for California's Negros? We'll see. They talked to the segment of black farmers in Mississippi. Ah, oh, I thought that was. I had many thoughts. I had many thoughts. I, one, they said uh, they were described the black farmers as libraries, living, walking libraries. Metaphors with the amount of information that they have. Ah, uh, Benjamin Banneker in addition to the charges that he actually designed uh, the city of Washington, D.C., or it's not a city, what would we call it, district of Washington, D.C., he made almanacs, weather patterns and all of that supposed to benefit uh, the agriculturalists, farmers in the region. Invaluable, these almanacs are supposed to be. I think even to this day, all of the information that they have accrued over these decades and generations that was passed down about how you correctly take care of the soil planet so that we don't have all these problems that we had like, oh my God, we got radon in the soil and oh, we can put all these pesticides and runoff round off everywhere, roundup, that's it, we got roundup everywhere and oh my God, and polluted it, No. The correct way to be a steward of the planet grow all the tomatoes and zucchinis and Brussels sprouts you could possibly possibly eat in a healthy way where well, you don't wear out the soil and the land is all parched and ruined no all like book making a book my God I'd like to get all of that uh, distilled all of that information because that sort of thing happens so consistently with individuals classified as black, non-white people in general about so many different forms of information uh, in terms of doulas and individuals who I think you would call them lactation counselors now Uh, where you had generations of black females they were PhD scholars on all of that and white people come and just say oh that's some voodoo negro madness, ah get out of here gotta have a white doctor and a white coat to come and terrorize you and your family, get out of here you know Negrodores, and all that ends up being lost uh same thing with uh all those homeopathic remedies uh where you can go out, you know what herbs and what have you that will help heal your body, all of that ends up being lost, what foods even to eat that will help heal your body, keep you healthy, all of that ends up being lost, same thing with those farmers, black farmers in Mississippi, like books. Uh, they should have people, the same way that they would have people go and just write down uh, former uh, Negro slaves write down as much as they can remember and their experience, see if you can get it recorded same thing, and I mean everything, so how were you mistreated, how did they terrorize you at the U.S. Department of Agriculture local missing, I mean good God, that's a whole book right there man tell us how the white USDA officials in Mississippi treated you and generations of Negroes in the delta right books and books and books and books and then the farming part too that's i want to say equally important but not really uh i guess yeah we all want to eat brussels i like brussels sprouts so yes equally important 1a and 1b the racism component and then all of that knowledge like geniuses and they would be respected as such if we were in a system of justice, they'd have like whole YouTube channels. People just come and film them and show us how you get the orange watermelon and all the red. Come on. Anyway, uh, let's see. They talked about the self-driving cars. That was when I've been incorrect about many things spot on about those self-driving cars. And that was one I hadn't done tons of research on at the time. I've done a little bit more now, but I'd said, Trying to be accurate. By 2017, I had been confidently saying that I thought within about 10 years this was going to be widespread. Meaning, they said by 2024, the semi trucks, the big rigs, will be self-driving, autonomous, no person needed. I was thinking we got Nick over the road and folks like we. I said I would not be thinking about trucks because they've been whining about that and saying we got no count lazy Nick over the road. They don't want to come in and work, or they come in and got body cameras on thinking we're racist. Either way, we're done with you all. Get on out of here. Yeah. We're not going to sit around and beg folks to drive these trucks. We got the robots to do it. That is probably, like I said, I said that 10 years from 2017, so right on target. Some of our listeners are a lot more concerned about that and think that that is going to be a horrible idea. It's going to be horribly unsafe and all the rest of it. I am not of that opinion. I have seen lots of how shall I count the rays. So I guess I would start with number one, James Craig Anderson ran that negra over. And that also happened in Mississippi, 2011. So that's number one. I haven't heard cases of the self-driving vehicles hunting black people and deliberately running them over. I've not heard any cases of that. I have heard tons lifetimes of cases of white people doing just that. They got whole Unsolved Mysteries uh, episodes of just exactly what I said and James Craig Anderson. That's one. Two the numbers of people white and non-white that I have seen driving while they shave make coffee, text, watch television, sometimes all of the above, and they're still trying to drive. I don't think the computer does that. I don't think the self-driving vehicles do the what they call it, multitasking. I don't think they do They just drive. They don't read the funny paper. They're not looking for what's coming on Netflix. They just operate the vehicle. That alone should be better. I was telling folks, I said this, six years ago i said my experience the bar for driving is so low for safe driving with humans is so low i didn't even get to the narcotics i got a long list i had a long list i didn't even get to the narcotics i don't think you got to worry about the vehicle self-driving vehicle or i just had you know i got the jack daniels in the car i'm gonna take a sip and drive i take we're doing the drinking games we're playing beer pong in the car i don't think they do that I don't have to worry about how much fentanyl they've taken and then hop behind the wheel. None of that. I had a long list of reasons. The road rage you cut. I've not heard one case of the self-driving vehicle. You cut me off. I got to cut you, coon. Got to chase you. Not one instance of that. So I am not, you know, bummed. Now, the job aspect, that would be a reason for concern. I remember, in fact, the book we had the author on the program two years ago, Right of Way, that book talks about the self-driving cars and even the racial component there and saying that for whatever magical reason, some of the sensors in these vehicles do not quite recognize Negro pedestrians as well. It seems that might be a fear. They even had a case where I believe it was a Negro pedestrian was hit by a self-driving vehicle. They investigated. There was a person at the wheel for one of these cases and for one of them, the one she talks about in her book, the person at the wheel was watching television. Anyway, that's why I said like, hey, if that's the bar for being safer than human drivers, it's so low. Bring on the self-driving semi-truck. Remember Tracy Morgan? Mr. Fuller talked about the Negro comedians, comedians in general. But remember Tracy Morgan? He was almost killed. He was a semi-truck driver, I think, driving for Walmart. John Crawford III driving for Walmart and almost killed Tracy Morgan. Can't blame that on the bot. That was a person whole lot of those folks but i think that driver fell asleep i don't even think they were doing anything crazy snorting coke my memory is correct i think they just fell asleep that'd be another one on my list i think i'd be up to five i've not heard about the robot man i was doing an all night we had a bender last night Ooh-wee. man i woke up this morning i couldn't find my shoes boxer shorts nothing much less the car keys woof let's go i've never heard of that one for the bot Lots of reasons. I'm a lot less concerned about that. Let's see. John Henry James. I can't believe it. Well, I can't believe it, but man, I didn't know about that. That's why I say all the time, not just nonfiction. We should be reading that because we're so poorly informed victims of white supremacy. But man, study local history. Study state history history learn just about things that have happened where you are particularly the lynchings well, I, at minimum you should know like okay i'm going to go and look for some of the lynching books in my state now for some states florida georgia mississippi there're probably tons of texas uh there're probably bunches of books about bunches of lynchings in these areas so you know this would be a lifetime assignment I would for sure make this generational hey this long as the system of white supremacy exists and maybe beyond hey you were born in Virginia you should know John Henry oh yes yes they lynched the Negro and then indicted him afterwards like wow put an asterisk next to that one like that's unique even for Negro lynchings Make sure that's one way that we can study racism, white supremacy, what it means to be white and might inspire more generations of Negro historians. And at least even if you are amateur historians, we've had some white amateur historians as guests on the program where that ends up becoming a whole job career for them. Sometimes just taking things, taking scholarship and research seriously. Lord knows we need more of that oodles more way more of that than great spectators. And that's what we got lots of right now, television and Netflix. And uh, I did skip over the segment where they talked about the impact of the extreme heat on prisoners. Now they had racks of them and I mean racks talking about all the different ways uh, that the weather around the world has been impacting everybody, and particularly a lot of reports about how it's impacting non-white people and or black people specifically. That said, Jesus Christ, I cannot even imagine being in greater confinement. They said temperatures of 120, 130 degrees Fahrenheit? Oh my God, I mean, what? If I'm a guard, I'm calling out every day, I'm getting another job. This is gonna be another one where you're gonna have shortage, because oh my god, I'm not going in. They they already know the data, they individuals classified as white, like each degree that thermometer goes up. They said that last week. We already know, up oh, that's gonna be more drownings, up oh, more riots, up oh, more arrests, up oh, more homicide. They already know this. Now you got people who already got behavioral issues, that's why they're here and you got no ac 130 degrees wow that's the punishment that's what it, you earned it yep yep give it to yourself that's part of your punishment like wow i got to die and so they said people who said they lost their hearing it got so hot i couldn't even they had the person they said they you, they would flood the toilet and lie in an inch of water on the floor. I cannot imagine an environment where it is so bad and the heat is so stifling that toilet water, literally bathing in toilet water seems like the logical refreshing, maybe life-saving option. I'm I was stifled. They were talking about heat. I was stifled just hearing that and knowing, oh, man, in Texas, they lock up lots of negros. Sandra Bland, they lock up lots of negros. Texas tough. We had the whole book. Robert Perkins had the book on that. They got a long history of locking up negros in the state of Texas. 2010, summertime 2010, 13 years ago he was on the program, Robert Perkinson white man, anyway uh, man, do some letter writing I don't know if you can send them ice cubes or anything. they've had parents who said, man I just do the visit- visitation because at least that's a little while that they get to come and sit in here where it's partially air conditioned man we Dostoevsky got mentioned on the program some time ago he is famous, I think, for that quote in his book, Crime and Punishment, about you can judge the advancement or the degree that a society is so called civilized by looking at their prisons. I guess do not go to Texas in the summertime. Might really mess you up seeing what they said three, four seizures a day, heat seizures. And the 130 degree heat, if you even survive yourself to get out. Man, uh, let's see. They had the segment I was so excited to play. Why I think it's so important to pay attention to news. Well, many reasons. That segment from France 24 about the influence of Russia, so-called, on the continent of Africa. They were talking a lot about Kimmy seba i'd never heard of this individual non-white person i believe classified as black and saying that he is a, a you know, opposed to france sound like opposed to the system of white supremacy even though he was using the word colonialism but said he was opposed to them you know we are looking for so-called pan-africanism wow they are so upset and talking about the russian influence to all of this on one level I said wow this is so similar I've heard this so many times where it's always the Negras are unruly and we think the the Russians are to blame for this you know we got this communist influence like that is so old and lame uh, if there's any sort of problem some other white people are interfering with our Negras and giving them these strange thoughts that's one two even there they were talking to uh, Kimmy Seba, again, I've never even heard of this person. This is on France 24 just this week, a couple of days ago. And he said he doesn't talk to France 24. He said they're biased, I suspect. He thinks they're practicing racism, white supremacy in the way that they report things, especially related to the continent. Easy to believe. And he said. When you have, he declined their request to come and speak to them directly. He said, when France 24, when they allow non-white people to come on their program, he said, you are an Oreo. You become an agent. You become an Uncle Tom. I said, wow, look at that. Other side of the world. I talked about those time differences and they use the same verbiage name calling that we do in talking about our problem man not that I, I you know, had heard that before but just man different parts of the continent and all that the name calling is still there like everybody could benefit no name calling we're not going to sit around and beat up on other non-white people they said that they said they were talking about neighboring African countries so-called and black presidents of these so called countries and say, Oh, you're gonna you're gonna feel it. You're gonna know. Over in Senegal, you're about to know, you're about to feel our power. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. <laughs> if we if we got a problem with colonialism, neocolonialism, aka the system of white supremacy racism throughout the known universe, if that's the problem. France twenty four is a part of that, their whole legacy. If that's the problem why aren't we saying hey? Look here, Macron, president in France. Look here, Macron, suspected race soldier. Look here. You gonna do right today. We done. All this racism and you finna know. You finna find out. Matter of fact, we got a list. You gonna start with Haiti right now. We talking about reparations. You got major repair for Haiti and this is the deadline or you fitting to find out. I didn't hear that. Bullying other black people victims of racism that's what we do all over the world apparently yes that is very popular all over the world name calling other black people name calling other non-white people and taking out our frustrations on other non-white people get at the champs man get at the people who are causing this problem the people classified as white I also thought it was interesting. They listed individuals classified as white in Russia as saviors. Individuals as white anywhere in the world always end up representing God, white Jesus coming for salvation. And that squabbling amongst individuals classified as white about how the plantation is supposed to be run and or meddling with their negroes. they do not like it when other white people come and mess with their boys and gals they do not like that at all that sometimes can provoke arguments and squabbling amongst, amongst white people that doesn't mean that they're not white I've heard that sometimes too people talk as though individuals in Russia are not white contraire contraire you take assistance where you can get it but I mean hmm. I think I think that was even said, Kemi uh, Simba. He said, hey, provided that the Russians do not come with that same colonialism, white supremacy, racism, that the French individuals classified as white from all other regions of the planet. Hmm. Minister Malcolm X, I was going to get his speech where he talked about that. He said, dang, they say that the Russians are communists. They say that the Chinese are communists. Why can't they be tag team partners? Why can't they be homies? What's the problem? Why is there friction there? Is it because the Russians, the communists, they're classified as white and the Chinese are non white? You can't just be communist buddies. You got to be white communists to be. Oh, oh. The great minister, Malcolm X. Let's see. Uh, last one, I'll get in. The. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Oh, the Northwest Nationalist Network. Well, I didn't want to get that. At I'll get that later. I'll make sure to come back and get that because that's Seattle. But the segment they were talking about Daryl Williams, black male, uh, being tased in North Carolina. I, uh, I have loathed those reports. I'm very aware that that happens to non-white people all over the world. They, matter of fact, I was paying attention more France 24. Dr. Welsing watched France 24 news for years. I didn't even know what that was. I remember calling Dr. Welsing at her residence when she would be literally watching France 24 on her TV to study racism, white supremacy globally. But the reason I was watching it, one, remember Dr. Welsing, and then two, they just had those riots over there. Nahel M. I played some of the reports about that. They had been going on for days and said, wow, you've been mistreating these niggers out here in the French suburbs and all the rest of it. And the police terrorizing non-white people. I was checking, getting the updates, and then they had that right on the front page. Dang. All of this. And it was like a 13-minute piece. I was stunned. And, like, I, I've heard all of that before. But anyway. I hate all of that police violence. I'm no fan of that. I felt obligated to play the reports about Nahel, the hell him M. the hell in France. That was big news around the world. Felt obligated include any time to try to include reports about things that happen when enforcement officials kill black people. But I am not one who sits around and I got to study and watch all the police footage and the body camera footage and all of that. It is going to happen do your best to comply and so that it's not you now I will say we heard Dr. Kamal Kanban's voice in the lead up to that segment when he was on this program many times his suggestion was hey especially in the summertime but really anytime but
11: especially
21: in the summer when people are prone to hang out kick it and all that stuff man once the sun goes down 10 o'clock 11 o'clock you should be headed inside you can still kick it, have it, What have I said for years? You can go to one spot. We're going to stay here. Everybody get their stuff. We'll have an old slumber party type deal. We'll stay up and binge TV, binge watch TV and all the rest of it. Great old time. Eat some great yummy healthy foods. Get a great night's rest and then we can leave in the morning. I've said that consistently. You do not want to be out late at night. That's when a lot of these things happen. Now they were talking about North Carolina spe- uh, specifically. I remember Jonathan Farrell. That was 2013. Enforcement officer killed him. No convictions in the case. White woman calls the police going to kill me. And the police come out and kill him. He just had a car accident. He did not do one thing wrong. Anybody can have a car accident, but it was late at night. Darrell Williams, in this case, 32 year old privileged black male sitting in his vehicle that's what I heard my ears may have been deceiving me but they said he was sitting in his vehicle enforcement officers come up and up. Oh, you got a dollar bill with a powdery substance on it now, they just found a powdery substance at the White House that they actually did identify as cocaine nobody got snatched up tasered nothing they couldn't even locate a suspect but they did know oh yeah we for sure got cocaine at the Oval Office. Daryl Williams, we just got white. It could have been flour, baking soda, chalk, who knows? Lint, laundry detergent, who knows? Oh, crack cocaine. Crack. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. yep. Mm. And that's worth four tases? Dang. All I can say, again, now Dr. Kanban, try our best not to be out late that's not justification that's not that you did something wrong because the clock struck you know 10:30 and you were still out not at all but just saying that hey out late at night individuals classified as white who want to practice racism white supremacy they will have it extra justified now because it was out late enough to no good and i couldn't really see and of course it looked like he was reaching for a weapon you heard what happened in the case Daryl Williams justified Mr. Fuller says no fighting no fleeing comply all of that we do not have an army none of us do any of us you could be killed easily in five seconds and they would get a promotion for killing in fact they said Daryl Williams is dead they were on paid administration uh, administrative leave that's a vacation man I wanted to go to the beach with my family what I just said get the zucchini get the Brussels sprouts on the grill go to the beach out in North Carolina we could do it up it might take them a month before they clear all this up man Partey. and then I get to come back and get my promotion and raise and all the rest of it and move right on up the ladder. I told these niggers to behave. Anywho, Mr. Fuller says we will continue to learn. Comply. That's the big one. Comply. Comply. Number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Again, we will be here. Tomorrow, quickly, uh, in about 12 hours, so stay tuned, uh, Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific, uh, for our live program. Let's see, I think we got bumped off, the folks who are listening live should be back in there, make sure, yes, okay, live sheet should be back, I don't know why it got disrupted, but should be back rolling, refresh if you're on the live line, if you dialed in on the phone line, should be fine. Let's see. Folks who dialed in with a hand up, you have commentary to share. line should be open. Proceed. Uh, let's see. Our caller 3438 should be with us. I'll nab other hands as I see folks.
26: Copy heart. Yes, sir. Good evening, Mr. Gus. Good evening. Greetings to all the callers. Uh, uh, I got a. To quite a few notes so uh guys cut me off you know let me let me know if i get the rambling um uh the first my first clip uh that you talked about um i just wanted to say about uh john henry james um that was uh and that was a pretty sad story um like you said 25 125 years later they're just now coming back and telling us about it i thought that was that that's an interesting how they. that's a like they like to study study black death that's something that they're doing here lately i well that's something that they always do um i thought it was interesting when they were saying how you know how the mayor and the sheriff were present at his lynching uh i thought those are some some of the uh, notes that i took about him um uh the reparations um uh one thing i'll say about that um stephen bradford uh, like you always say uh you got to uh, make sure you uh, check out who you listening to the whole time he was speaking. I thought he was a white person, but I went and Googled him and I seen he was, he was a, a pretty well melanated, non white man. <laughs> so, but, um, I thought it was interesting when they was talking about how California was a slave state and basically the California governor, he owned slaves. I, I didn't know that that was pretty interesting. Um, the uh and over when the the story about Africa about the um uh, they were saying just like what you said they called it the Wagner group they called those the African saviors i thought that was interesting also um and they were saying that he had a pan african pan Africans playing into the hands of the kremlin um so I guess they were trying to say that i mean the Kremlin was using him with the wagner group or But then they were saying that France was arming the terrorists also. So basically, the white people were just using both sides to have us just fight, basically. Um, They were saying that they were inspired by the Black Panthers. I thought that was interesting. Um, What did they say about that? Yeah. Another thing when um, you was talking the Duro Williams um, when you played uh, you said like when you're opening a uh, little clip the uh, man not I usually don't understand like I, I that 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 fit right perfectly with with this whole entire uh, clip with, about him that was a pretty that was sad man how they did him um, he he said that he had a heart problem I, I, I heard it pretty pretty clearly when he was saying he had a heart problem so um, they said that. Uh, When he died, that he died from cardiac arrest, cocaine use, and physical restraint. And there were some other things that they said. So, like you said, they said that he he had a rolled up uh, piece of a dollar bill with white powder on it. I felt like when them putting in that cocaine use, that was just, that was just, we don't even know. That was just something that they, he probably didn't even have a dollar bill with white powder on it. So, who knows what was going on with that. It could have been anything, but they had to put that in there some kind of way to make him look bad and look like the victim in this well look like a perpetrator some kind of way. Um, there was no charges being pressed. Um, they would seem like they was, when they was talking about the taser, um, they was given all the, like they said it was 99.95%. And there was one to 2.5 million chances that this could happen. But then he started naming off uh, incidences where it ha- had happened. But when he said, the people had died, he said they would they died from head injuries. So basically he was trying to say that the head injuries caused the death and not the taser. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um uh the um what they call it the the pre trial fairness act is I believe that's what it was called, uh the um no cash bail is that is um in Illinois. Um, that being called the pre-trial fairness act, I mean, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, the sheriff and the prosecutors were all against that. Um, that's, I don't know. I thought that was something that just, that just lets you know how the system is basically that that's how they work. They're trying to, (laughs) they want us in jail. They don't, they don't care how, how we in there. They just want us in there. Um, I thought it was interesting that the Supreme court approved this. That was kind of interesting. And then also he said that the entire system is surrounded around the cash bail system. So he's basically, I, I, I thought that was interesting. So, so I'm assuming that they're going to have some kind of financial issues if this is passed, or if this goes through. Um, uh, I think that's um. Those are some of the little, um, when you talked about the autonomous trucks, I thought that was kind of funny. I was on the freeway driving when you when that clip came on, so I was just looking around at the trucks around me, and I was just thinking about, yeah, they, I never thought about what you said about the people driving. That is pretty interesting. <laughs> like I was kind of worried about the trucks driving on their own, but, uh, yeah, these people, they are, <laughs> they might be better off just with these autonomous trucks. I'm not sure. Uh, and that bolo rap? uh i looked that up um when i seen that i basically wanted i looked at that and it was uh i just these uh white people they think they're cowboys uh they think there's some kind of cowboy some kind of way that's what i thought about when i seen that they just want to hog tie hog tie hog tie somebody up and do what they do um i'm kind of rambling right now um, i i had a couple of little things i was going to say um the fight club I, uh mma i thought mma that's i think mma is all about white supremacy pretty much um a couple of weeks ago there was a guy that was on on live tv on espn i believe he had a white supremacist tattoo a big black cross with red markings it was big on his chest and i i, I told my friend i said do you see that and <laughs> he he and he he's not as uh he's not as um He's not up on uh white supremacy as much as I am and if we both I'm like he kinda understood too what it was. So I'm assuming it was some kind of white supremacist tattoo. I'm not sure if it was, but I'm pretty sure it was. And <laughs> he went out there. I said, Man, this guy is that's what they're yeah, white supremacy and MMA, they that's it, it all goes together. Um that's all I say. Uh, have a good night. Um, uh, thanks for listening. Much obliged, good sir.
21: I'm not surprised. I think a lot of that MMA even started because they did not have white heavyweight champions anymore, and we're tired of loudmouth niggers dominating professional boxing. So, ta-da, here we go, where white guys can still be tough. Uh, That segment on the active clubs... I was confused about what they were talking about, like what that meant. I was thinking active in terms of we're going out to do something to actively practice racism, which I guess it is. But they meant active in terms of our going out to do to practice racism is our physical fitness. I was staggered. I guess I shouldn't have been because I have seen Fight Club and watched it from a counter racist perspective. The homoeroticism of all of that. We got, and I mean, that's like back to the essence. The aceli of white culture, using terms from Yorugu, Dr. Marimba, I need, that's going like back to the Greco-Roman era of white supremacy, racism, and the gymnasium. We got to get our white dudes together and go grapple it. Oh, God, that's, remember the 22 caliber killer Joseph G. Christopher Race soldier for sure. He would go meet up with his black colleague after wrestle, after work, and they would wrestle and fool around. That was the word used in the book. Catherine Pellinaro, absolute madness, fool around. They would wrestle after work, and then he would go kill negros All of them. We have these active clubs where we get together, grapple, tussle. Urgh. And we go out and protest sometimes at the LGBTQ. <laughs> like, oh my God, the homoeroticism of all. Even we fight the other white clubs sometimes out in public. Wow. To prove our manhood, our white manhood. And to be refined about it. Like we can't have the swastikas or anything, even though that's exactly what this is about. White manhood, white supremacy, uh. Delectable Negro all. And that's right here in the Washington state area, which I'm not surprised, not surprised about either. They got that whole book. Uh, We talked about this from Columbine, the pink swastika. Uh, The author was a guest on the program way back in 2011, uh, but talking about how we should not think about so-called homosexual activity as tenderness or compassion or certainly not. You know, I am not racist if I'm white. Uh, that that is very compatible with violence and racist violence. Scott Lively that's the white man's name the author of the pink swastika. But that yeah all of that is very fight, and that would be another reason to be mindful alert when you're out in public and to maybe not be out late. Race soldiers with a badge or no could be a serious problem. Uh let's see the that I also thought was so important in Illinois, where they're talking about doing away with cash bail. That's Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, Chicago, and the late Pamela Evans Harris, Chicago. Uh, but they And Lauren Cress Love, too. She was, hey, was born in Chicago, too. Uh, yes, yes, she was, Lauren Cress Love. Um, but th- they said this cash bail system, our system of governance, Criminal justice is centered around cash bail. I thought that was fascinating. Like, wait a minute. So does that mean like bilking all of these poor non-white people that you arrest John Bird style in Chicago? That is the basis for your criminal justice system? probably not just in illinois but remember that was a big part of ferguson remember that michael brown jr i just talked about that with they? dang the fbi eric holder had to come in looks like they got a whole racketeering system set up to charge Negras and fleece the Negras here in ferguson Hmm. wow that would be another reason why to pay it but i mean i would want him to break that down like what do you mean exactly is that like the whole budget is around We got to get these tickets got to get this bail oh yeah bail bail yep yep bail not that no 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 gotta have bail gotta have bail yep make sure we get payroll for that. yes bail everybody like really is that what this is (laughs) like we man that would that would give me pause especially in a context of white supremacy racism and john burge that would give me tremendous pause Dr. Francis Cress Welsing would have had a billion things to say about that I am sure as would Pamela Evans Harris and Lauren Cress Love Chicago through and through Uh, they did indeed say the leather jackets for the group in Africa I don't know why that we do not need the like sizzle the dashiki the afro the leather jacket the beret the fist in the air we do not need any of that we need Logic. Not slogans. Not fads or fashion. Logic. Accurate information in a timely manner. Let us see. Number again. 720-716-7300. Decode 564-943-POUND. Press star six, one. If you would like to participate, if you have uh, either suggestions or thoughts on some of the news reports, things that we heard and/or didn't hear, do not wait till the last minute. Hand up, uh, particularly because we have to bounce back immediately for tomorrow. So we'll give folks hmm, five minutes if they have other thoughts. And we have parents. If you all have thoughts on the phone issue i think that is always important to uh share thoughts observations uh the best way to you know navigate all of this as an attempted non-white parent i do i don't have children but man oh man i will double down on that all day long you already have non-white children dr welson told us about this we already have children who are addicted to screens we grew up addicted to screens most of us man wait as long as you can Give them a dumb phone and I will even wait as long as you can on that dumb phone for safety and then see if you can hold out as long as you can and give them the logic as to why you are doing this. This is for the health of your brain computer and your mental health. You got to model this one too. You can't be walking around addicted to your social media all day if you are an adult either. Let's see. Hold on one second. Our caller, let me nap Irie really quick, also a parent. Irie, did you have commentary you were going to add, ma'am? You should be with us.
12: Ah, oh, Tep, and good evening. I I came in late night. I apologize. I really do. Um, I just, it's been a while since I've been able to listen live, so I just want to catch some of it. But as far as phones and
20: youth,
12: I, man, If you don't have to give it to them at all, don't do it. I mean, like, seriously. And then, um, like, they used to make these phones for older people called jitterbugs. And I don't know if they've updated the jitterbugs to have, like, app access and stuff for older people. But I would get a jitterbug-type phone for my uh, son if I had to do it over again. Um, because, I mean, he knew how to get home. We, we weren't far from school and stuff. There was no need for, like, GPS and, you know, anything like that. Um, that's what I would recommend because the kids are smart. They're intelligent, and they are curious. I was just talking to somebody about that. And they're going to want to look at things that they shouldn't. And if they have kids that know how to... um. Do go into the developer tools, for instance, in a phone that you would think is step down. Well, one of their tech savvy friends could show them how to go on the developer tools and skirt around whatever, you know, you've set up or, um, it's no telling, but I do believe, and I, I understand also being in schools that technology in general is, has put us on an intellectual decline and on a moral decline, and I noticed that the children are not having access to computers. There's a big difference between a phone, a tablet, and a computer. Even a laptop, to me, is still a computer, and they don't want them interfacing on those things. Oh, for whatever reason, we could get into another time. I'm sure Gus will have someone on the show. Eventually, they'll talk about why people aren't... Uh, youth aren't being allowed to use computers um, as much as devices. Uh, But I had a suggestion to um, produce justice as far as the legal system. Um, And that that bailout process is interesting because I was helping a victim that was accused of criminal trespass, trespass, excuse me, and... um, She was given a signature bond, which is good because she has two offspring that are beneath uh, the age of 10, and she wouldn't have been able to bond out. But um, either way, I've been helping her for the past seven months, months with a criminal case to the best of my ability. And what I noticed when, during jury selection, that there were only three, non-white people, one, classified as black, two, uh assume Hispanic, maybe one Asian, uh, Pacific Islander, I'm not sure, but they look Hispanic to I me. Mean, all the rest are white. But it made me think of that clip that you play, Gus, with the white lady, like, you got to register the vote. You got to register the vote because, you know, you know how she talks. And I'm going to say this. I do not personally believe in voting as of yet because I understand it to be um, the voting process to be a part of the duopoly scheme to practice racism by having us choose the quote, lesser or two evils are steering us in a variety of ways. But what I think, I'm still learning, I think if more non-white people register to vote (laughs) at least you would be eligible to be pooled for jury duty and then you could produce justice for a non-white person and 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 hopefully add to the jury pool so it, it's not just three non-white people like in her case. She was found not guilty. Praise the ancestors and the creator. However, it was also because she had to do a lot of due diligence with her public defender to get them to understand why she was innocent. A lot of foyers went into this, a lot of, you know what I'm saying? Like, she had to really work for it. But for a while, I was really uh, antsy. I, I had a little anxiety because I said, this is not a jury of her fears. Not fully, you know, like there what was it? 12 jurors and two alternates and three, three of them are non white You know, I just got a little uneased from that. And, you know, if we are serious about producing justice, perhaps we should consider that. Again, I'm not telling you to vote. I'm not, vo- I don't plan on voting right now for the presidency. If I do, I've joked that I will vote for one of my, my cats because he's black. <laughs> so I'll vote for a black, uh, you know, uh, candidate. it will just be one of my cats. I'll write him in before I vote for Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whoever else. But I don't, personally want to vote but registering to vote if i can produce justice for a non-white person that that is uh qualified for that justice especially you know and even if they are guilty at this point (laughs) you know it's the system the system set them up just something to think about and that's what i want to add and thank you very much
21: much obliged irie uh, on that by other folks who dialed in uh, just quickly one for the young lady that you helped out congratulations to her for not guilty acquittal is always great for victims of racism hey you do not want to be in a Louisiana prison for the extreme heat wave Jesus Christ air conditioning yes acquittal uh, bravo to you uh, black self respect in helping her uh, with her case uh, I can certainly understand why you would be nervous I would have been too I'm sure she was as well um That for her to be doing the assistance with her defense and working with her attorney, it would seem like it was probably helpful for her to not be in greater confinement so that she could do that work and write those letters and make those freedom of information requests and such. That's why you do not want cash bail. If she had had to be stuck confined while all of that, it might have been a little bit more difficult for her to make those requests, converse with you, get this information being out. You can get on the phone. You can go to the air-conditioned place (laughs) or just turn the AC on at your residence. Get on the phone. Boop, boop, boop. Make your calls. Get on the Wi-Fi. All the rest of it. Get on your tablet. Do all this. Bang. Got your acquittal. No thank you. You all keep that 125 degree cell for somebody else. Maybe a race soldier. Uh, But bravo to uh, both of y'all for the assistance in all of that. And I think that was what the person from the sound clip, that was what Mm -hmm. they were saying. Register to vote so that maybe you can get called for jury duty and can help exactly like what you said. You can get on a case, non-white defendant, and you can do your best. I think they had one of the entertainers got a mistrial this weekend. I don't know the racial composition of the jury, but hey, that is exactly what she was saying. I would just add uh, there have been lots of court cases, even all the way up to the Supreme Court, about white people white attorneys successfully, consistently eliminating non-white jurors so I don't think the problem is us not being registered not that she was saying that but it does seem either way white people are very skilled at getting rid of non-white jurors. Johnny L. Cochran wrote about that explicitly even in the OJ trial and beyond uh, let's see other folks who dialed in with the hand up that we have missed totally. Proceed. Let's see.
12: Can I be heard?
21: Great, great. <laughs> Bay Area mom.
1: Go ahead. Uh, well, thank you. Nice. So, Gus, can you run? Can you? I, I didn't catch the uh, beginning of the. Um, whatever clip that you or whatever happened to where you were talking about the phone. Can you give me a rundown on the phone so I can
21: see? Well, they were just talking about the age that you give a child a Mm -hmm. smartphone and some of the dangers in all of that pornography and the catfishing and depression and eating problems and try to wait as long as you can or giving them a dumb phone that doesn't have all the Wi-Fi access. That's kind of the gist of it. But saying for folks, if they have thoughts about, you know, when you give that child that phone, how long you wait, if there were problems, what tips you would give to other parents about, uh, the, the phone access for offspring. I have a cousin who
1: was six months old when she got her first iPhone from her grandparents because they said she needed something to hold her college-educated master degree mother allowed it to happen you know so the parents are totally submitting to what they think the children want um, I in life the children shouldn't have phones until they need them and they don't need phones in elementary school or middle school and you can get those little uh senior phones that don't allow um, access to the Internet because the phone is a phone, not an Internet uh, phone. Um, and just any Internet. It's not even the phone. The phone is just a way to the Internet. The children aren't calling anybody. The children are on the Internet. So they're using the phone because it's quick. It's a quick, cheap way to get them on the Internet. Um, They don't need access to the Internet unsupervised. They need to be, I'd say, high school, summertime. Maybe if they're going somewhere on the weekend, they can take their phone just for emergencies, but there's no... The parents have to toughen up. The parents... I don't understand why we're having these conversations. The parents need to toughen up. How are the children running the home? So that's my my age limit, high school. My son had a... uh, I just called it Michelle Obama phone, but it was the, you know, the free phone, and I would give him that, and he would leave that in my back seat because he didn't want it because, you know, all your peers know, hey, what phone is that? And if you say it's one of those free phones, they don't want to bring it out, but you have to set standards, so uh, no phone. There's no reason for Who are they calling? They're calling you, then give them or something. They have the little plans, little kid plans where you can have, maybe top five, your parents or whomever, three other people. And that's it. It's grab control. All parents. I'll meet my line. Thank you. Thank you for letting me go, uh, firefighter. Sorry about
21: that. Set those standards. Great to hear. That's why I said, like, that is one, just with that technology, to talk about all of that in advance because that can get really out of hand really quick and that's one if you all have kind have talked about this have come to a consensus about this yourselves and have really moderated your own use like I said so that you're not modeling you know you're glued to your phone 10 hours of the day and you know can't eat a meal without going to check oh what's on IG oh oops, somebody uh, like come on <laughs> like you're modeling quality behavior moderation with your devices and electronics in the house and then setting standards with them as she said who are they calling really at 12 11 10 9 who are they calling really the wi-fi you should be super and limited like what is all this they said if they're going to get an app you should download that app use it for a week yourself and see if you think it's suitable for your a child your child's age They said, and the pornography, that was such a big one. I think that was Irish. He said, hey, you may have a tech genius on your hands or a child who is homies with a tech genius where they can figure every type of hack to get around the parental controls or whatever else. uh, So that things that you thought were prohibited on the phone now can be accessed. That being the case, as, hey, there are lots of ways. If it's you want to make sure they can call to call you or for safety reasons other the family members, that sort of thing, check on their whereabouts, what have you. There are ways you can do that where they don't have uh, unlimited, unfettered Wi-Fi access to, you know, at the, that cat go look at that store and I would show it to them. That was a 15 year So that's high school, right? She said she waited with her child until high school. That was a 15-year-old high school white female, catfished, killed her whole family, and set the house on fire, and then kidnapped her. That's the sort of thing that comes with all that cell phone and the Wi-Fi we got to get on Instagram and all the rest of it. That's a part of what the safety and standards are for. Retired firefighter in Florida. Yes, sir.
15: greetings everyone um i have uh four reports uh let me make sure can i be heard yes sir hello oh okay uh just want to make sure that this is new phones. sometimes i don't know when it's on mute and when it's not okay uh my first report uh and uh i had to uh really looking to these reports because they are coded uh they don't speak directly to uh who they're identifying in other words number 1 uh is, is the title states that UN experts urge Tunis- Tunisia to act swiftly to uphold migrants rights and what they're talking about is uh the the UN U- 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 experts into Tunisia: uh, the people who are uh, in trouble are uh, non-white people classified as black, who are identified as "quote-unquote" sub-Saharan uh, migrants, uh, being mistreated, meaning that they are fleeing uh, because of uh, severe uh, living conditions. And other things, uh, involving, uh, them, uh, are motivated severely to, uh, have to, uh, go somewhere else. And, uh, this place is giving them a hard time, uh, certain people, uh, giving them a hard time to, uh, uh, flee to a safer area, at least to their perception it's safer. Uh, their intent is to eventually get to Italy. Uh, And I looked at the picture, and the picture of the people that was in the Mediterranean, I believe, uh, is non-white, black people in a rickety boat. Uh, Number two, state of Florida, got to have a lot of non-white people upset over the idea of somebody uh, shared with uh, uh, children in the public schools. Public school system in the state of Florida that, uh, black people benefited from slavery. Uh, this is not the first time that I've heard, I've heard that comment, uh, being, uh, shared with, uh, uh, public school children. It's not the first time I've heard that particular comment uh, on it, but, uh, it was in the news, uh, somewhere this week, sometime this week. Uh, Texas uh, is rewriting election rules. I heard somebody talk about uh, what I call professional voting. Uh, election rules uh, in uh, Harris County, uh, which includes Houston, uh, creating uh, creating uh, barriers for voters, make it tough for voters to vote. And as we know, uh, Houston has a large contingency of non-white people who are rich classified as black. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's a, uh, well-used tactic. Uh, I believe it's called gerrymandering in some cases. I could be wrong, but I believe it's called that uh, as far as a quote unquote, uh, metaphor. Uh, last but not least, something that I experienced uh, about maybe going on now 30 minutes ago, uh, On the way coming home from the home that I grew up in in famous Richmond Heights, uh, which is about a maybe a 30 minute drive, uh, on the Palmetto Expressway, which is a major expressway in, uh, Miami Dade County. And, uh, wondering why the traffic is slowing up and it's a large contingency of non-white i would say teenagers maybe a few of them are older than teenagers or on uh dirt bikes uh, i believe they're called atvs uh no lights at all no lights at all uh in traffic and uh it just tells me uh, on the on the difficult Difficulty to raise children, uh, to affect children, uh, that, uh, it's quite difficult because I'm seeing, I experienced something that, uh, is, uh, quite dangerous to themselves as well as, uh, to the, uh, driving traffic because you can't see them, which I really don't understand. But anyway, that's my, my report. Uh, for this evening. Thank you.
21: Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. I said my list was enormous. Remember all those reports, or maybe you all don't remember, but we talked about it. They had all those reports during the Rona when it first started and they had shutdowns in many cities, people going out and drag racing, driving 110 miles On the expressway out in california drag racing (laughs) out in many states they were doing it here in washington state too uh that's another one i've not heard any reports of the self-driving vehicles like oh my lord the teslas were out drag racing going 130 yards at the 130 miles an hour at the park i've not heard one report about that not one that's why i said like man the bar is so low for safety because We do so many unsafe things on the plantation in general, and then behind the wheel is just, you know, more of the same. Uh, In so many ways, James Craig Anderson. Anyway, yes, let's go to justice. Yes. Uh, The report about down in Florida how slavery benefited the Negro. The great Bill Russell, we read that in his memoir, Second Wind, where he said he read that in a book in the library. I think he had made it out to Oakland, California at that point. And he said he read it in the book where they said, oh, yes, mm-hmm. we got these heathen negros out of the continent. And uh, best thing ever happened for them." Look at that. Got a little technology. Got some sense in their head. Talk about that tomorrow. Uh, but he said that exactly. He said nothing upset him more. He said that upset him more than when the white man tried to lynch him in Louisiana. I was stunned. But that's what he said. That's what he wrote. Second win. Amazing book. Uh, but BP Kamala Harris responded to that this week. She was very upset saying that the Negro cowbell, the Negro benefited from slavery. I said, oh, man, that is going to be a showdown. If uh, old Governor DeSantis, gets to the debate for the White House and everything, but she was was not pleased at all. She vigorously disagreed and said so. I posted it on uh, social media earlier this week. Let me see. I'll see if I can find the report quickly. If not, I'll share it next time around. Uh, But the drag racing, we talked about that many times as well. Uh, Our caller who... Oh, wait a minute. Let me share one. A listener wrote in. They talked about the race soldier groups they called them white nationalists incorrect use of terms that they were attacking LGBTQ events so called pride month we had a listener write in she said I just wanted to share information with you and listeners in case you or the listeners are not aware I found this potential house bill to be outrageous when I first heard of the bill in Michigan it stated that it could be a felony for misgendering an individual not even sure what that means Since that time, it looks as though (laughs) some of the language has been changed. I found it insulting that a lot of the language that would be race specific and make race intimidation a hate crime was changed to be more gender specific language. I still am waiting on the hate crimes like they got all of these cases that have happened since they passed that Emmett Till anti-lynching crime bill and nothing. Peyton Gendron, all of these events that have taken place, nothing, not one. Anyway, uh, in agreement with Neely Fuller Jr., I believe in calling people what they want to be called. That's a big one. Uh, However, I am sometimes confused in this world with non-binary, trans, etc., specifications and what is appropriate. To me, logic is is useless as to me logic is unless a person has undergone a sex change then they are either male or female but clearly that logic no longer applies anyway i'm sharing because we are watching in real time how the lgbtqia plus 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 has seemingly exceeded black people as it pertains to laws protections. Well, individuals who are classified as not white do not have protections in the system of white supremacy. That's what we're trying to solve. Uh, In my ignorant assessment, we go to prison for calling these people by their biological names, but no one gets punished for calling us racial slurs. To my knowledge, the bill passed but is now going to the Senate. Just sharing for listeners who might find this interesting. Uh, I'm all with calling people by their appropriate name. But we've had folks mention this in a work context where they said they had to have a code to make sure that they don't, you know, do that. I don't know if they call that misgendering, but if someone comes up and they appear as though they would be classified as male, they say, no, 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 no. I'm, you know, my pronouns, she, her or whatever. Sometimes they make up, you know, they have all these idiosyncrasies and all the rest of it. Uh, But they said, you know, you have to be careful about that because just as she wrote, you can get in trouble. Now, I don't think they were talking about it being a felony. I think they were just talking, you know, I don't want to be written up or terminated if this happens too many times. So I have to be careful about what I say, which they even said in that clip talking about the police with the taser and the bolo and all the rest of it. Like, hey, the most important weapon is what you say. And many officers run into trouble because they don't have correct use of words to manage a situation. Very true for non-white people as well. Anywho, uh, but yeah, with the whole I would be mindful, check the news in your area and particularly for the workplace, because I think that's where for a lot of folks that really could be a problem. I'm totally with calling people by their proper name, but that is A big part of the confusion of the system of white supremacy, racism, all of confusion about everything, even what does it mean to be a male? What does it mean to be a female? We're striving to be universal man, universal woman. They say no such thing as a man. No such thing as a woman either. Get that out of your head altogether. Meanwhile, they got the active club where they go out to be white and manly and homoerotic our mail caller who was going to share, I guess a teaspoon more.
26: Copy. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to uh, say about the um, when he's talking about the phones, Um Yeah. I would say no phones for the kids. Um, that's one of my big, as a parent, um, I wish I could go back and do a lot of things differently. Um, no phones, no TV. Um, I would say kids, um, if they do have a phone once they get into high school, uh, no internet, just be able to call out, maybe text, maybe not even text, just call just in incoming <laughs> outgoing calls just to you. <laughs> and that's about it. Um, like I said, uh, I appreciate all the parents that that's on here. Um, uh, Z, Z's, Z's mom, uh, woke baby's parents. Um, I appreciate all you guys. Um, you're, um, you're doing a good thing with your parents, with your kids, um, being real informed with because they um you're doing a good job. Um, I just wanna say I appreciate all them, um firefighter, all the parents. Um just being able to talk to your kids about um racism and it's it's hard it's tough. So um no phones is something that's real tough, but it's I I feel like um it's discipline, so it's it's a a key component of discipline that we need to be teaching. And that's something that I really didn't understand as a parent. And I, like I said, I wish I I could go back and change that. Um, so all the, uh, young parents, um, this is a good, uh, good group of people to, good group to, uh, get some information from. So just stay, uh, stay on your job with that. Um, I was going to say too about, uh, Sue Clebo, um, um, you were talking about, uh, I feel like, uh, her, the reason why she wrote this, she's trying to be a victim. Like she's basically <laughs> trying to be a victim, I guess. Um, it made me think about, uh, what Britney Spears did with, uh, with Victor Wimbyama, how she came up behind him and, you know, she got smacked in the face and, you know, all of a sudden she's a, she's the victim. Like when she's been a superstar herself and she's had security and she's probably done worse things to people than that. <laughs> But she's making it seem like that was just the worst thing ever. So that's I just want to say that about Sue Klebold and also about that book too. Um, it's man, I'm glad you got that's a great uh, book read, Gus. But uh, man, that book is like it's disgusting, man. It's, it's disgusting listening to her talk. Like it's, I guess I can't even explain it. Um, the last thing I'm gonna say is uh, uh, the um, I don't know the um, the Barbie and Oppenheimer movie. They com- combine those to call it barbenheimer <laughs> I, I just felt like that was like a this is like a white culture propaganda campaign so uh, thank you have a good night
21: bombings that is white culture i mean yeah and they brag about that and that's the white supremacy racism of it too uh that's why dr Welzing would have so much to say about that because they didn't bomb adolf hitler we gotta bomb somebody who are we gonna bomb non-white people of course, and then brag about the fact that we did this. Bombings. By well, that weapons of mass destruction. That is white culture through and through. That's why we're reading Sue Clebo's book. Weapons of mass destruction, and then try and sit back and act like they are the victims after all. That's one of the... the t- tried and true white women as a that's why John Henry James lynched and then indicted probably got castrated too and then indicted white women victims under any and all circumstances victims mm. Anywho, Sue Clebo, uh audio segment two coming up on Tuesday. She's narrating her own book, that also. I have my poll. It's on uh, my Twitter at Until Justice. Uh, I think money at first was the big leader in the poll. The vast majority of folks uh, thought that she wrote this book for money. New York Times bestseller, so you get a few nickels. Huge catch-up for deflect blame that was number two but it was trailing big time almost neck and neck now uh even where people think she was may have been equally motivated by making money and to deflect blame away from herself and or her child so we'll keep all of that in mind as we read it was being supremely positioned to read and study analyze all of this Uh, Since we have read had so many guests and such about Columbine. Incidentally we had Jeffrey Cass on earlier this weekend. Uh, A listener asked him if the cowardly Columbine killers were racist. He said oh man they're Jewish or at least Dylan was he's Jewish you know can't be a racist my goodness they're just trying to be counterculture you know they're just trying to be edgy different you know whatever all that means. I totally forgot because I didn't ask the bot I had to even remember the context the bot called Klebold and Harris racist and did it again this week I was asking about something totally different but I remembered that the first time the bot called them white supremacists and neo-nazis I was like dang why do you call them white supremacists and so look here brother Gus, and it just started going through their journal entries and things that they said and, you know, what's what we read in the books. And I was like, oh, OK, so that's white supremacy, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then it did it again this week. I, if I had remembered, I would have totally brought that up like, well, Mr. Cass, the chat bots, they think Harris and Klebold are racist, white supremacists, even. Anywho, we will be here tomorrow early, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, 12 noon Pacific, white guests only. In fact, we will even touch on some of what we heard today where black people are not dumb and ignorant. Uh, When white people go out to practice racism, white supremacy, sometimes if they have brilliant ideas and what have you, white people just come and steal them, using violence to come and steal whatever it is that you are doing that is constructive and worthwhile, and then lie about it too, to boot. Tomorrow, even touching back on so-called reparations, cannot wait. Uh, Tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific, white guests only, and then Monday, St. Louis, mentioned Michael Brown Jr. In the audio segment, we did so many uh, programs back when all that was going down in August of 2014. Back to Missouri, I posted the program we did about the documentary Spanish Lake, uh, which is about white supremacy, racism in St. Louis and uh, how they tossed the Negroes out in the suburbs. Some of that will come up again directly in Monday's program back there was a time we had an F in environmental racism I'm very glad that day is no more we can add almost be moving closer to the like B plus range we were at F for a long time but now we can get a little bit closer to being at the B plus range Monday St. Louis reading more important than watching television said that about those screens makes it more difficult to read if you give them that smartphone early discipline very important they said the same thing the caller said everybody says wish i had waited some of the white experts said i've never heard a parent say man you know we waited till 18 to give them that phone we really should have done that at 16 even 15 not one time discipline and she wasn't even putting it in a counter racist context that should even add to it because we really we need Dr. Welsing put it in the context that you condition people to look at those small screens that was what Irie said what's the difference in looking at a computer as opposed to looking at a phone hey the computer that I have it's not even monstrous but it's way bigger than a phone and it plugs into screens Easily. Projectors even, so it can easily become the whole wall. That's generally not the case for the phone. Dr. Welsing said, you condition people to look at those tiny screens so they have a very niggardly view of the world, life, as opposed to big, broad vision literally and figuratively universal man universal woman that's the scope of how i view the world and myself not i'm always just down in this little screen and what's happened today who did i get a light who did i get new no come on wait as long and you can't be modeling this is greatly diminished if you do wait you give them the dumb phone you wait till the 17 18 to give them all that but you are all day long on ig and liking and thumbs up that it yeah it just all it shows then is i have to wait till i'm 18 and then i can be on my phone all day long too we will be here sunday sobriety with the best under conditions of white supremacy racism drink more water creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect At all times, in all places, each and every time, we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. No name-calling, no gossiping, no throwaway offspring. That's why all the talk about the phones, valuing non-white life. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in.
11: Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, no brother. i a victim. Yeah. I'm up. a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been
2: conditioned. <laughs> Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family